0: Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast recall knowledge for the Game Mastery Guide, Ooh. version 2.0. I was
1: going to say, we have to, be, have to be specific on 2.0 because it has the same title as the earlier version.
0: <laughs> it's true. The Paizo has a habit of doing that now. Uh, I am, of course, your one of your hosts, Rick Sandage. I am joined by the esteemed Jordan Jenkins and the Yo. indomitable Ross Scoggin. Hi, I can't be dominated. <laughs> <laughs> so don't even try yeah uh yeah so and we're here today to talk about a book that came out i think over a year ago now yes a over bit, a year yeah. ago now so looking back at yeah. the game mastery well, guide do i need to point left or right jordan because i always get it wrong uh who are you pointing to game mastery guide do we have it posted up someplace i oh, assume the direction oh
1: because oh. it's uh it's right here it's over there yeah this, okay. this way. <laughs> I'm not
0: looking. Uh, yeah, so I guess we'll go ahead and get this started. We, of course, have already asked our fine folk over at our Discord for some questions, which we'll be answering towards the end of this. If you have any questions of your own for us to answer about our thoughts or our views, or if you want spoilers for a book that's over a year old, we'd be more than happy to provide those <laughs> to you. And uh, feel free to make some comments over in the comments is that? i guess that's also that way yeah i'm gonna assume <laughs>
1: well i don't know comments are depending on your app it's down <laughs> it's left it's right who knows <laughs> you'll find
0: them we trust you
2: but so, we do like to hear from your feedback if you have anything straight. you'd like us to address or you know questions whatever absolutely feel free to pop that in there
0: absolutely and again we uh and, and share your own thoughts you know mm-hmm. we are uh we are paid professionals but we are not uh this is just our thoughts on this it's not really a A review, per se, because uh, Mm -hmm. as partners with Paizo, we're not necessarily unbiased, and so we can't be considered an unbiased news source. But instead, these are just kind of our our general thoughts, and your thoughts are just as important as ours. Very true. Segwaying from there, uh, let's go ahead and look at the Game Mastery Guide. Uh, And I guess let's start with this beautiful cover. Mm -hmm. Yep,
1: a Wayne Reynolds special.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it definitely looks his style, although I'm surprised he managed to restrain himself with uh, no extra belts and beads mm. and strings yeah. and 15 wands or whatever. What it's have very
2: slightly less angular than his normal style, too, I think. Yeah, the
0: dragons definitely has his oh, angular yeah. style to it. but Absolutely, mm-hmm. but like a not quite as much. Yes. Uh, So as Ross mentioned there, that is Elasnus, the Rune Lord of Wrath, Mm -hmm. along with a black dragon that I don't know if it has a name as I I have never Mm -hmm. fought Elasnis. but if it does, Mm -hmm. let us know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, but this is cool
2: because it also car- calls back to the first edition version, which had uh, Karzog um, as well as his blue dragon friend, whose name I also forget.
3: Um,
2: <laughs> George. Yeah. George the blue dragon. George. George the blue Dr- <laughs> George. George. George of dragons. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm hoping that uh, by seventh edition, we should have one of these for each one of the Rune Lords. Um, so, Paizo, we need to get to seventh edition ASAP.
0: yeah and it's it's kind of nice that they did this nice homage to it where it's Mm -hmm. uh you know it's the same design to it it's kind of the same theme i was just trying to check here real quick let me see if i can find i appreciate the change in
1: pose though like they didn't do like the same pose because the first one i believe has karzog sitting on a throne Mm -hmm. it
0: does and uh yeah yeah, you know, it has Karzog sitting on a throne with a dragon behind him, so it's completely different. I also appreciate that the, uh, you'll notice that the back of the throne has that bar going across and the two spikes coming up and then the curve down. That's actually the rune of mm-hmm. wrath. That is very true. Oh, so carved into the back that. of her throne, so that's really neat. There's a lot going on with this one, including very Screaming cool. Guy down in the corner uh, inside of his little cage.
1: <laughs> oh, he, he's dead. I'm almost positive that man's dead.
0: Yeah. Either that or he's one of it those was a uh, mummified. He's one of those creepy guys from down in the well in uh Ocarina of time. <laughs> Redead? Yes. <laughs> Who knows? So uh yeah, shall we uh, shall we actually crack open this book, get into it? Uh, we've all got our copies here in front of us, and by that mm. I mean I think Jordan's got a PDF. I've got, got mine. It's the it's the mm. shiny one.
2: I have one uh, as
0: well. So mine is
2: the yes. non-shiny one, but <laughs>
1: still <laughs> we good. Have that. The one that we have t- all prints that you can have of it basically mm. represented. <laughs> it's true. Ross can actually look at that cover
0: in person. I have to pull up a PDF it's of true. that cover. It's It's beautiful. <laughs> Look yep. how beautiful this is. Uh, that is followed by a page that says Pathfinder and Game Mastery Guide. And that is mm-hmm. followed by a table of contents. So let's go ahead and skip past that. Wow, I didn't realize
1: this was page by page review. I page didn't take nearly enough page. notes. Uh, so yeah,
0: we're going to we'll be at jump... this for 10 hours. So <laughs> <laughs> I hope you had nothing else going on tonight. hope you like our
1: dramatic reading of this book. <laughs> yes.
0: Introduction. Uh, so I suppose let's go ahead and start with the introduction here. Hmm. It's an introduction. It does the usual introduction stuff. <laughs> and it it discusses what a, what a GM does and so on.
1: Um, and kind of, kind of the uh, reiteration of the you know the classic rule of it's your game.
0: Yes, so, the golden rules in there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, or the first rule, or what have you. Uh, I think they whatever you like it to the call first it. rule. Yeah. yeah. So, which is basically have fun. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like that. There's a little bit of a, a hint in there for this version of it, where it's kind of like it's you're the game master. So the golden rule is kind of, it's whatever you say it is. Mm -hmm. So as long as it's also fun. Yes. Uh,
2: The goal is for everyone to have fun, but that does
0: include the game master. That does. Yes. Sometimes that is overlooked, but some, it is important that if you are game mastering, uh, first off, thank you for taking up that mantle. Mm -hmm. And secondly, you should be having fun with this. However, you have fun. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, my my thoughts on the introduction are is it uh, it does a good job of pointing out where a new GM should start. Uh it also allows for the fact that experienced game masters have different needs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I like how in the choosing your tool section, it talks like if you're a newer game master, you'll want this stuff. If you're a game master running published Pathfinder adventures, you'll want to go to this part of the book. If you're looking to create your own Pathfinder adventures, you want to go here. If you're mm-hmm. an experienced game master, you'll find customization options here. it It's a very well done roadmap. And I usually just skim over introductions, particularly for game master guides, because uh, I... Don't assume that I know everything that's going to be in there, but usually they sound a lot the same. You're going to hear me say this a lot during this review. I was surprised by how much this didn't read like just another game mastery guide, it mm-hmm. didn't read like the mm-hmm. dungeon master guide or the dungeon master guide to or the game mastery guide for first edition. It felt very well thought out, and uh, we'll explore that in a little bit more depth. But do you guys have any thoughts on the introduction here? Not not an, except for what you have just <laughs> covered, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say so, that was a yeah. pretty
1: thorough covering of
0: oh, okay. <laughs> a couple of pages. <laughs> I am nothing if not thorough. It's true. <laughs> so, uh, how, how about uh, Rush, you roll us into uh, chapter one here? Chapter one, or as I like to call it,
2: the game mastery basics. Which I is good like to call it that. <laughs> I was about to say, which is good because that's what they call it. So, <laughs> I think we're all on the same page there so uh first of all the game mastery basics um i mean really it just gives you what it says it's the nuts and bolts of running the game of how to handle things like rules disputes or just you know how to interpret things um it talks about even just like the actual pure mechanics like going in depth for like okay you're fighting underwater what does that mean you know you're um like going to go map out this place. What does that mean? Like, what, what exactly are these differences here? Um, I mean, obviously, there's plenty of great advice, um, especially if you're just getting your feet wet. Um, mm-hmm. Or even if you just are like, what is Pathfinder? I'm going to pick this up and see if I can <laughs> learn how to run a game. Um,
0: see, about see. I'll read this book before I buy yeah. the 700 page one <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just to see if I want to do this. This one seems a little less intimidating.
2: Um, Yeah, Yeah. I mean.
1: (laughs) But I do appreciate that it doesn't really rehash anything that's in the core rulebook super greatly. Mm -hmm. Like it's mostly filled with advice and guidelines to help you in being a better GM. Less so Mm -hmm. than if you didn't buy the core rulebook, this is the book to run adventures with. So they do complement each other really well.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly agree. It's, uh, it's divided into a couple of sections. I figure we'll probably we'll touch on some of these sections and I figure we'll skip over any of the ones that wouldn't interest people quite mm-hmm. as much. Uh, I think we already just hit on like the general advice section, which is kind of where it starts off. Although yeah. I do like that it even talks about things that normally aren't really addressed in a game. Because usually when you're looking at Game Mastery stuff, it's a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. it's a lot of this mm-hmm. is how you run the game this is how you play the game and there's a lot of things here talking about uh, pacing mm-hmm. it talks about uh, failing forward which is something that I don't think I've ever seen mentioned in a game it's something you hear about in jargon and if, you, if you're if you involved in game mastering where they talk about you know a f- failure on the player's part should still progress the story and things mm-hmm. like that uh, it even talks about like giving false information, uh, secret checks, metagaming Mm -hmm. A lot of things that, uh, and and has a whole section here talking about like NPCs. Particularly, one that I enjoyed was uh, uh, portraying NPCs, and then I think it's the second section there, betrayal, Mm -hmm. and talking about inevitable betrayal. Yeah, if an NPC betraying the party, uh, in some way, or if you have an NPC betraying the party, lay the groundwork Mm -hmm. so that the players Mm -hmm. don't feel ambushed by the twist. Um, Yeah, I'm somewhat notorious for loving. NPCs that eventually betray the party, uh, you can only ever get away with it once or twice because mm-hmm. it, after that, you paranoid. either get to the point where, well, yeah, you get to the point where the players trust no one. Yeah. Uh, but if you do seed the hints in there that makes the party go, I'm suspicious of this person. And then when they betray him, it is one of those cursor sudden but inevitable betrayal mm-hmm. that they knew it was coming, but mm-hmm. they kind of hoped not. Uh yeah, and Ross already mentioned about uh the kind of running the encounters, which talks a little bit about aerial combat and aquatic combat, yeah. which is only vaguely touched on before. Uh what did you guys think about their advice in here? They go I like it because they uh they expand on rules from the main book. So this feels mm-hmm. like it's supplementing almost like this is Paizo answering people's feedback from the core rule book because it expands things on like initiative and stealth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what you guys thought about like them adding in extra rules for our extra clarification, I suppose to be the proper way to phrase it.
2: Like these don't, um, these feel like, yeah, again, these are more like extensions of the rules rather than like, we've just made up new rules in this separate book that you have to buy separately. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like it also helps uh, codify some of the stuff that you might be doing as a GM anyway. Like one of the sections talks about like ad hoc bonuses, yeah, and like how to handle those. Which personally, as a GM, is something I really like to do. Like I like just throwing that stuff in there because you know somebody does something really interesting in a role playing sense. I love to give them a little bonus for that, just because it's like it encourages people to you know try weird things or new things. Mm-hmm. Um. But, of course, it also does say the flip side to that is if you do it too much in certain situations, then your players might decide, "Oh wow, every time like I describe myself kick flipping off something, I get a plus one bonus to
1: attack <laughs> <laughs> well, that might kick flip everything,
2: yeah, you know, like I'm just gonna kick flip off of like every surface that I can find, and it's yes. like. They were calling uh, me Sir George the kickflipper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, your game is
0: turned into like a Tony Hawk game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if I grind off of this enemy how, how many bonuses will I get for that one at least a hero point I hope
2: which I mean if you're fine with that great but like yeah.
0: you know that's not necessarily the way that I would necessarily want to play I'm very interested in someone's playthrough of Age of Ashes with the all pro skater <laughs> uh, adventuring party dude
1: oh goodness yeah no I I think in general the 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 kind of it does kind of feel a little bit I wouldn't say I wouldn't call it an FAQ because it's really not. Mm. It's Mm. it's really giving you that guidance that like, honestly, we get a lot too. like a lot of the emails that we get in um, from people is like, hey, I, uh, you know, I'm having trouble running this encounter. I'm trying to do this and that. And this kind of just helps give you some of those guidelines to kind of kickstart you up. Mm. So if you are a newer GM, you're going to go, oh, okay, I can I can skip a couple of mistakes and just, you know, cut this in the in and get to it. And I think part of what they're saying, a lot of it is the kind of things that aren't codifiable, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're not rules. They are the kind of things that you kind of just learn from experience and being able to, you know, know, like to to use the example of, of giving those bonuses. It is one of those things that it specifically says, you know, we don't recommend that you give it all the time, but for something extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So it can't be something that could happen, you know, often or else you're doing it too often. And I think like that kind of like um, helps you with the kind of soft skills part of the game, because a lot of people I know are really good at the crunchy rules part, and then mm. soft skills and interacting with your players can be the kind mm. of part where everybody kind of goes, uh, I don't know what I'm doing now. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think you also, you definitely hit the nail on the head with one element of this book that I saw come up a lot, which is there are assumptions, I think, that as as a seasoned game master, as I think all three of us are that we have learned things, but we were never taught them. Mm -hmm. So for instance, this talks about doing batch initiatives where it's, if you have four goblins, have them all act on the same initiative. Mm -hmm. And that's something that for a lot of game masters, that's ingrained with you over time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you don't really think that it's like, that's something that you picked up from somewhere. It's, you know, Ross and I both game master, or go, both played with someone before we were game masters. Mm-hmm. You know, Jordan played with me before he ever ran his own games, and so you just kind of develop these things where it's generations upon generations of game masters handing it down. Whereas if you're somebody starting from scratch, you don't necessarily know that. Okay, I've got twelve goblins. I'm going to have to give each of them their own initiative. Yeah. It logically makes sense, mm-hmm. um, but or just things like uh, placing characters on the map and they suggest coming or having the party establish a marching order before combat begins. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you have ingrained in your head from years of playing the game. But I like that they actually bring it up here for someone that doesn't have, you know, a person handing them or teaching them the ropes before they go off and become a game master on their own.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. So uh, like
2: if a group's getting into a game, it could be uh, that. Oh, sorry. Kinda, oh no no go on oh yeah um if uh if a uh group's just getting into the game and it is you know like we've just decided and this is the person who was most interested in being a game master but none of us have ever played before like this is yeah. some great stuff in here
0: oh yeah um, i mean even no, I'm, then I'm, you know, i was oh, just gonna say i wish i had this book when i was starting like yeah, this same. is some mm-hmm, great advice Definitely. Mm-hmm. so uh yeah and then after the uh after a little opening segment here, they go. It goes into a couple of different things, like Ross was saying that it covers things like you know, uh, different types of a combat, aquatic combat, aerial combat, social encounters,
3: mm-hmm.
0: which are kind mm-hmm. of a fun, uh, fun break there. It then gets into a little bit on running exploration. Which the only thing I really wanted to shout out to in this section is, uh, I think it's page eighteen of the book. There's a sidebar here called Quick Environmental Details, and I love this. Yes, there's a lot
1: of helpful charts like that, yes. where it's just quick, easy, like references that you can just pull from.
0: Yeah, so it's uh, you know, Jordan, give me a give me one of those options: aquatic, arctic, something like that.
1: Uh, go for um, is they have forest in there? Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Ross, give me uh, give me one of the senses. Uh, let's do smell smell. So mm-hmm. you can go in here and if you have your party walking through a forest and you're you're doing your usual description of, you know, dappling light through the trees and everything, you can also throw in here and it shows under smells um, uh, you know, smelling the decomposing vegetation, the flowering plants, the pine trees, the earthy mushrooms as you navigate your way through the woods and it gives you these for all of these different senses so mm-hmm. that you a lot of times, game masters will uh, people will write in and ask me about things like, "How do you engage, or how do you set the scene, and how do you establish that?" And the most common thing people forget is we're we're very visual people, and uh, you know we humans as a species, and we we listen, but you want to engage all of the senses at once, so that it's like you know not only can you see the cat, but you can also <laughs> almost feel the soft fur of the cat as it strokes across your chin. Uh,
1: <laughs> as it makes Hello, an epic, epic,
0: yes. saying, As it makes the
1: epic descent down Ross's shoulder. <laughs> yes.
0: So uh, I just I just wanted to shout out because I loved that that sidebar, and I feel like that that is something mm. that a lot of new game masters, especially, but even seasoned game masters, can look at that and go, "Okay, I'm doing something, and it takes place in a mountain, and mm. you know, maybe I should be describing the powdery snow, you mm. know, crunching under my players' boots to really immerse them in that sensation." So, uh, yeah. Or one of the things I try to incorporate the most
2: is like weather, like, yeah, you know, it's, not every day is exactly the same even <laughs> if it is in a season like summer or something where at least in texas it just tends to be really hot for a long period of yeah. time mm-hmm. uh, but even then you have like one day there's a warm breeze another yeah. day it's completely still another day there's like you know some distant clouds i yep.
0: mean it's 200 days of summer punctuated by tornadoes
2: <laughs> oh jeez. Uh, it's so true texas. though yep yes <laughs>
0: No, absolutely, and it's uh, I I felt like that was like a great section that really delved into you know, uh, like the exploration and and involving all the senses, and then they get into a, a couple other things like more of the mechanic side of it, like getting mm. lost and, mm-hmm. um, you know, hazards and all the rest of that. Yeah, uh, heck, they even have a section on uh, follow the expert. So again, yeah. it's that, mm-hmm. that weaving in the mechanics into what is also just kind of a teaching experience for a new game master. Mm-hmm. So, uh, other than that, yeah, they talk about downtime, which is, uh, a useful segment. Yeah. Um, especially considering in the core rule book, I think downtime gets like three pages.
2: Yeah. Uh, and and most of that's retraining.
1: <laughs> yeah. Actually,
0: it only gets one page.
2: If I remember correctly, oh, okay. <laughs> it
1: gets it's get almost no coverage. I so was this, giving this, it too
2: much credit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah th- this expands it out to a lot more detail. Um, mm-hmm. If you are, especially if you're looking to, to add that into your campaign from a homebrew mm-hmm. perspective, this gives you a lot more information about like what you could or should be doing. Um, they have even suggestions for what you can do, which I thought yeah. was really helpful. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is like, you know, you can easily treat downtime as just like, hey, this is the part where people craft stuff and make money and that's pretty much it, which is fine. But I think, you know, sometimes some of the most memorable stuff happens in downtime. Honestly, it's like, you know, my character adopted a dog in the downtime, you know, and so now there's a dog (laughs) at his house or something. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, there's all sorts of different stuff you could do. And it's just like, you know, it, it, you you build on those experiences, I think. Um, but it's just from like a random downtime role. <laughs> like <laughs> I was building a house and a dog came by and I adopted it.
0: Yeah. Oh. And it does give you kind of a section for rolling up things like events and all the rest mm-hmm. of that. So I think that that's really interesting the way that that, you know, it again, it's this book does a lot of things where they just take rules out of the core rule book and they expand upon what the what the rule offers you or what you can do with it Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah that's most of the downtime stuff the only thing I want to draw attention to is uh, I think it's page 27 which has the uh, comedic phrase in my mind of extreme retraining which sounds (laughs) like it's some sort of you know extreme sport or something like that but it's actually just a Retraining a whole bunch of stuff about your character—the
1: the things you can't normally retrain with the normal yeah.
0: rules—changing an ancestry or heritage or changing something like that, changing your
1: background out, things like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, uh, yeah. Following that, they talk we, talks a little bit about adjudicating rules, mm-hmm. which uh, is useful information. Uh, it's not something that you know after years of experience. I it tends to be um, something I do rather easily and mm-hmm. unfortunately I have a group of players where adjudicating rules is rather straightforward and simple. I do like that. They mentioned the yes, but mm.
1: yes. Yeah.
2: I, so. yeah, it's definitely a great tool for storytelling. I think also another great um, bit of advice there is reviewing, like after you've had a rules discussion, maybe give it a day or two, go back to it and just like, yeah. look it up again. Maybe mm-hmm. with, you know, a clearer head. You're not in the moment. You've got time to just sit there and like, think it out. Um, because sometimes it's like, maybe you made the wrong call whenever you were in the moment, but that's okay. I mean, it's a learning experience. We all learn from stuff. And I mean, even, uh, even now, every once in a while, I, I still get something wrong. I mean, I'm not perfect by any means. Yeah. So
1: yeah, I, yeah. No, trust, I appreciate the me. guidance that they gave that specifically said, If you're gonna do an on-the-spot judgment, make sure all the players are cool with it. Um, And if you and because what that is is actually kind of leads you into home rules. So I thought that was a kind of nice way to to make it in a a slightly more democratic standpoint. Because Mm -hmm. when you do those snap judgments, sometimes it's going to feel like it's a little bit in the favor of one person over the other, especially if you don't have the consistency. So I think they really put in the consistency as as being key to you know happy. adjudication that i again you learn that with experience and them calling it out i think was really helpful
0: yeah yeah and that kind of rolls into uh the next section which is the the resolving problems Mm -hmm. which can include things Mm -hmm. like i think i like that they start with the total party kills i do want to draw attention to the artwork in this section which is uh marisol running away with uh like everyone's gear. It like is Like the blood shield and the barbarian it's, sword. Okay, not, and,
1: it's not the fact that she's stealing all the stuff. I've never seen her art with a grin that big. Like she is so happy <laughs> as she's sprinting off she's with so everybody's happy. stuff. <laughs>
2: it's so like, man, I can great. pawn this for a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it then goes on to talk about like problematic players, mm. uh, power imbalances, things like mm-hmm. that. All of which can stem from if you make a house rule, sometimes you have to to be able to readjust to it because it yeah. may sound balanced in the moment. Uh, but like we we're talking about, you know, Sir George, the kick flipper, if you continue to give someone the same bonuses for a house rule or something like that, mm-hmm. eventually they may get an unfair advantage.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, it
0: also does talk a little, it's got a sidebar in here about cheating and how to deal with uh, that if you have that at the table, as well mm-hmm. as things like. Telling someone that they can't play with you anymore.
2: Yeah. Uh, which, which is, is a yeah. difficult conversation. And it and is it the also, crappiest job of a game
0: master. Yeah. I
1: know. mean, and it, and it always falls to the game master to, to deal with that. I yeah. love the safety tools thing. I did actually missed that in the core rule book. Mm-hmm. So I had to go look it up. Um, that's super important. Yeah. And it's something that I didn't even realize because we don't really, that's not really necessarily something our group uh, has to deal with. But I love the call out and the giving you the tools to actually help with consent and, with, yeah. You know, making, yeah, the, making sure everybody's comfortable at your table.
0: Yeah, the X card is a is a definite uh, good thing to explore. And a lot of times you can go, if you're especially running an adventure path, it's sometimes a good idea to go on the message boards as a game master and check beforehand to see what it's going to involve. And if someone has mm-hmm. um, an issue with something like, you know, maybe cannibalism is something that really gets to someone, then... Mm-hmm. Maybe avoid ogres.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, God. Yes. Yes.
1: Extreme fear of spiders. Uh, maybe swap next that section, you know out.
0: <laughs> yeah. The next section is something I found really interesting because it's something that uh, I have never personally done, but I hear people bring up to us often when they write in letters, which is the narrative collaboration. Mm -hmm. The idea of having, in essence, almost multiple game masters. And it's something we've never explored. But I often hear someone say that, okay, well, we do an adventure path, but then there's six people playing and each person GMs one of the books. And it intrigues me. And I kind of like the idea that they talk about here with like the creative collaboration and you know, what challenges come with it, decentralized storytelling. So yeah, it's kind of an intriguing thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it's especially interesting. I think the the thing with doing adventure paths is the story is kind of already set for you, but if you're homebrewing and mm. you're not, you know, you're not doing the epic of Gilgamesh kind of a thing. You're doing something that's that's kind of written as you go, that it's very interesting because I have listened to a lot of podcasts that do this and the shared storytelling is very interesting because it gives you the ability to have like the one thing that I think sometimes can be a challenge as a game master is getting everybody interested in what's going on yeah. and being able to collaboratively storytell allows the players to give you more input onto what they like. So if you notice yeah. that they keep doing the same story beats, the same hooks um, I think that that's something that you can just roll with as a game master and, and incorporate more mm-hmm. into your story. And so, it's a it's a really interesting methodology. You have to be very cool with it kind of going wherever it goes, and maybe it goes mm-hmm. a little off the rails, but that's okay. So, it's, you know, not for everybody and not for every adventure, I don't think, but.
0: Yeah, I yeah. think there are some groups of creatives that would get a lot of uh, mileage out of doing something like this. Absolutely. So. Anyway, I just found that intriguing. That's uh, hmm. that's something I've never really thought about delving into. And a lot of it also, I do like the idea of the story points where players can spend points to interject things. Mm. So just be yeah. like, you know, I'm going to spend a story point to say that while we're having this conversation, my character's ex-wife walks in to the tavern. Yeah. And I'm going to have an awkward moment. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> it- there's um, there's a uh, tool out there um, that's called whimsy cards, and I don't remember who made them. So, hmm. you know, I apologize to the makers for not including you in this, but um, the idea behind it was that you could distribute these how you want. I played in a game once where like at the beginning of each session, the game master would hand out uh, two whimsy cards per player And they just have something written on them, like um, unexpected betrayal, like suddenly one character (laughs) betrays another, even though like there's, yeah, Um, or like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, like family friend or something like this guy over there is actually a friend of your family from way back or something Hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that you could basically play them to adjust the story. Like it wouldn't necessarily let you like, you know, if you were going to fight somebody, you were going to fight somebody. It just, now they happen to be like your family friend that has apparently betrayed you. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it it would allow you to kind of like adjust the story in certain ways, which I found very interesting. So I'd I'd be interested to see how that works. Like with the story points.
0: So, uh, yeah, I think that'd be, that'd be kind of intriguing. And, uh, You know, anyone listening, feel free to comment if you've ever done anything like that to kind of delve into that. But uh, after that, they talk a little bit about uh, special circumstances, which in large part is just like, what if you have a table and it's just you and one other person? Or what if you have a table and it's you and eight players? Or what if you're doing Pathfinder Society? (laughs) I've done that, by the way, me and eight players. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that is... That it's is something
1: else. <laughs> it's a lot. I, I do
0: particularly enjoy, however, that they do touch on things like uh, like player needs, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have a section where they talk about uh, sensory differences, where if you have a player who's hard of hearing mm-hmm. um, or has difficulty processing large amounts of sen- sensory information at once, how to approach that and how to make a table that is comfortable and conducive to everyone that is playing. And uh, I just... Yeah really enjoyed them making a point to bring up the, the blind or the, the deaf or the hard of hearing mm-hmm. and how to make a table that is open to everyone. So yeah. I, I just enjoy, I, I know it only got a small mention here and I would, uh, I would love to see it expanded on some more elsewhere, mm-hmm. but I think that that is a, is a definite benefit to, Raising awareness that not everyone is going to, if you describe a scene a certain way, or if you um, if you set up your gaming space a certain way, that people who have difficulty with, I think they even bring up in here, you know, um, that you can consult them beforehand or even create um, handouts that they can mm-hmm. consult during the session. Uh, and even brings up people with a attention span.
1: Um, I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Um, the one thing that was kind of interesting about the attention span specifically is it mm-hmm. mentions giving players something else to do. Yeah. Um, I, that's a kind of a, a tough one for me because, like, if somebody's playing on their phone, especially somebody with ADD, I know, like, for me, the things that really lock my attention in is video games. And so, if mm. I'm sitting there playing like a mobile game or something, I'm gone. Like, I'm I'm in mm-hmm. a totally different world. So that's kind of one of those use your best judgment, I feel like, Um, because like for kids definitely need something else to do, because like a four hour combat is very difficult to sit through, you know?
0: Yeah. To share a personal experience, actually, I had a player of mine that that did have attention span uh, issues that they could not focus on a single thing for too long and actually focused better if they were working on multiple things at once. (laughs) And so... Every time that we would sit down, he would sit down to play. He would also bring over miniatures and would paint miniatures paint. Yeah. while engaging the game. So, you know, he would be still involved in the the overarching game of playing. It was D&D at that time, mm-hmm. but involved in the overarching game and would create these amazing, these phenomenal miniatures for use later on where he's just like, mm. you need a knoll? I've got a knoll." And he always carried like this fishing box full of miniatures. Sure. Uh, it was great. That's but- awesome it is good to be able to be accommodating to people that have needs beyond the rest of your group. Mm -hmm. So uh, following that, we get into rarity in game, which again is one of those touching on the mechanics and uh, it just kind of touches on how sometimes things are rare someplace and actually kind of uh, expands on what the phrasing of things like uncommon means.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's uncommon, uncommon. but like, okay. So
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, this is the thing that you'd have to go to three different Home Depots to find (laughs) as opposed to,
1: (laughs) yeah, it's not, it's not your
0: standard Allen wrench set. Uh...
1: Can't get that on Amazon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, again, they just kind of hit it in one, one page here, but uh, I don't know if you guys agree with that. Kind of what they're talking about with like, you know, what, what are the contexts for uncommon and uh, Mm. you know, how you can use that for world building.
2: No, I mean, I think it's it's good advice. Um, moreover, too, like it it helps explain to players like, well, I want this option, but it says it's rare. But I mean, come on, how how rare could that really be? It's like, no, like this is something that <laughs> by
1: definition,
2: mm-hmm. this is what it,
1: that means. Yeah, I well, also appreciate the the element when they talk about unique items. Mm-hmm. Of talking about what the word unique actually means and the context of you can like if your if your name is Bob the Ogre the Ogre, you are unique in that you are Bob the Ogre and there is no one like you, but that doesn't mean that your gear is unique necessarily. Or like, like it you are really a unique is one creature of the kind encounter. items yeah. that are unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So I think it's it's very useful to and they do that a lot in this book also. It's very useful that they go in and they clarify. Mm-hmm. They take things that were established in the core rule book, and then they clarify and codify exactly what they mean.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, I also, again, like that they touch on the world building thing where it's, you know, a katana may be uncommon in a European esque setting.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: However, if you're playing something in Tian and Shaw, much less uncommon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, when we get into less. So. The last couple of sections, I feel like it can all be rolled into one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they mm-hmm. delineate them because it helps for someone trying to search through here, which is they talk about campaign structure, adventure design, and encounter design. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of rolling all of this into one. It, it does a good job. Again, falling back to that, I think I use this word a lot in my notes here. Uh, codifying the structure that goes into building an adventure. Um sound a little too professional there but yeah <laughs> it gives a, a very clear indication on how many encounters is manageable and advice on how to run them mm-hmm. uh, especially because it breaks trip. it
1: yeah and it breaks <laughs> it down what you're trying to run are you trying to do a one shot are you yeah. trying to do you know a, a brief campaign an extended campaign and then it actually gives you some guidance on like number of locations the you know what the levels could be starting and ending at Um, i think it's that is, especially if you're starting homebrewing, it's always mm-hmm. overwhelming because there's so much to do to get, like, just a little bit of help on kind of just, you know, outlining what you need to do, I thought was really helpful.
2: Like, oh, yeah. it it teaches you how to make the
0: blueprints, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, if you don't have years of experience, that's something that you just don't immediately start knowing. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. I, I will say that, you know, when I was... <laughs> Like
2: 13, yeah, I made some, you know, dungeons and adventures and stuff, but I mean, no one would want to play them now. (laughs) Trust me on that. Uh,
0: Patreon goal. (laughs) (laughs) to release Ross's 13 year old. Oh no. Oh,
2: I'm so Uh, embarrassed. Oh man. (laughs) No, the fame
0: dungeon of Doug, the Dugar.
2: (laughs) Wow. That's actually more detail than I usually gave them.
0: (laughs) True. Um, But yeah. And again, on the, uh, on the subject of them doing like these kind of, um, this isn't even a sidebar here, but they do talk about style in here where they talk about the number of sessions that something like a dungeon crawl should take or a mm-hmm. uh, high adventure or a horror game or so on. And then like a couple of suggestions on combat encounters, role-playing encounters, traps, etc. Mm-hmm. So So uh, I found that very, very interesting and uh, yeah, and pretty useful.
1: Yeah. And I think that the, it has a lot of the, the main story beats kind of put into here because like it has, villains and reoccurring villains, um, you know, what happens, what, what should rewards look like, you know, and, and kind of breaks down like treasure and what, you know, that is kind of like and what selling items really means and different ways you can do selling items. And I thought mm-hmm. that, again, it's one of those things that, you know, for a first time GM who decided to homebrew, I think mm-hmm. this is like a really great like chapter specifically to go through and say, you know, the, here's my outline, here's what I'm trying to do here's how you start a campaign and a campaign. Um, you know, what happens if let's say the PCs fail at something, you know, the whole fa- the failing forward kind of yeah. stuff uh, kind of is oh, no. reoccurring here. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: It's like, you know, on the subject of failing forward and everything, it's that, uh, and it kind of, I think they might touch on this a little bit in the combat encounter section where a common mistake is this idea that the character is losing automatically means death. Yeah. And mm-hmm. not like they might be captured and then you can get yep. to that wonderful, you know, jailbreak section that uh, <laughs> I always love from every video game that I play. And then inevitably they give you all of your gear back immediately and it disappoints yeah. me. Mm-hmm. It's um, like, why yeah. even bother with this then? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. But uh, I will say that there's a sidebar on page 48 called uh, Quick Adventurer Groups that I think is extremely useful. Where it just gives a couple of breakdowns for here's some basic structures for encounters. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know here's how to balance something like you know a boss and his lackeys is one creature of the party's level plus two and then four creatures of the party level minus four. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I like how that that can be immediately used where it's you know okay the what is it Mook Squad I love that one. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Mook Squad six, was funny. Six creatures of party level minus four, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a quick way to just go. I want to throw an encounter at them, but, and I think they talk about that in here. You don't want every encounter to be, you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Like every encounter doesn't need to be super hard. Sometimes it's nice to be able to go, okay, we just walk into a counter and then through the mechanics of the game, we can illustrate how far our characters have progressed. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the things they also say like it, because some fights are just like it. If the Mm PC steamroll let them bask in it. Like don't yeah. try to, to do the thing where it's like, oh, I really wanted something else to do. So I'm going to, you know, have the door break down and there's 10 more guys behind it or something, you know. Um, the other thing that was really interesting about about this section with the quick adventuring groups is also dynamic encounters. So yeah. it, it mostly means like terrain that's changing, say the burning, you know, the building is burning down and, you know, there's different things that are happening every round that kind of change the battlefield. I thought that was really interesting because I'd never really thought of constructing something like that. So it was just really kind of a a good inspiration for, you know, doing Mm -hmm. the kind of, uh, you know, epic battle while, you know, there's lightning storms and all kinds of crazy stuff just seemed really cool.
2: I will say Paizo definitely specializes in those set pieces and a number of adventure (laughs) paths. Mm -hmm. Um, I won't want to spoil any of them because they're all amazing. But my God,
0: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not to, uh, again, not to give a spoiler here, but I'll say that uh, set piece encounters is one of the things that uh, I know this adventure path gets a lot of flack, generally speaking, but it is one of the most memorable things about Second Darkness. Mm-hmm. Second Darkness has some great set piece encounters. Oh, I wish my wish yes.
1: <laughs> I'll never get to play Second Darkness.
0: Yeah, maybe yeah. someday. Future Patreon goal. Anyway, <laughs> when, we're,
1: when we're in the old folks home and we have nothing to do but play Pathfinder all day, <laughs> yep, okay, Rick,
0: we've,
2: we've already added two more Patreon goals today. So <laughs> we're on a roll. Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. That, you know, $10,000 a month or something. I'll one-on-one Jordan <laughs> through something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, <laughs> second like a darkness like that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, he's just, he's just mythic rules. Jordan through second darkness. Woo! One man. Army. Oh man. Yep. Uh, The last section here talks about drawing maps, which uh, it's Mm -hmm. a very short section. Although I do like that. um, I had not realized, especially because I've been, you know, I've been playing the game so long that I had eventually just adopted the. What is considered, I guess, the standard drawing a map style for things where it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, a wall with an S drawn through it as a secret door, a little Mm. squiggly line on this as a curtain, you know, a. like a solid line theme, but then you like make little ripple designs for it for like a pond. And so I do like that it has a section here, which just covers these are the symbols that you can use so that anyone looking at this map, Mm -hmm. everyone is looking at the exact same symbols. Well,
1: Mm -hmm. and it also, it also goes through kind of basic map making of start with a legend too. So like if you do adopt a different, you know, symbology, put it on a legend so that everybody could at least reference it and know what's going on. If you're not using like the kind of official, uh, way that we've kind of learned with you know piezo maps like oh yeah. the
2: frog symbol is a pond okay good to know
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah and then uh
0: after that we get into the next chapter which by the way i just want to throw out here that uh the artwork on page 54 is uh is some of my favorite the giant mm. steampunk oh yeah. forge
1: oh, oh yeah man yeah it's that's exciting. pretty so, awesome
0: Yeah, We kind
1: of skipped over it, but like the art in this is fantastic. Um, I especially appreciate that they actually kind of tell a story. If you follow (laughs) the characters, there's a little bit of a story that's kind of done through it all that I think is just really, it's kind of subtle, but it's really interesting.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so Jordan, you want to hit on what uh, we're looking at in chapter two?
1: All right. So chapter two is all about tools. So these are basically the tools to help you mostly for homebrew stuff. So, building creatures, hazards, um, you know, items, things that you can do to make your items more interesting and unique. Um, It goes through intelligent items, cursed items, um, you know, artifacts, um, afflictions. Always always the fun thing with, like, you know, poisonous diseases, (laughs) things like that. Yeah. And then, like, really just gives you that kind of, I think baseline of if you wanted to set an adventure in Galarian. So it has mm. some some things about what does it mean when it's a planar world? What is it what does a nation really mean and how do how would you stat one out?
0: Yeah. So I'm I'm curious to get you guys your opinion on this. Um, Am I the only one that felt like this was the stuff that they had to cut from the core rulebook because it was already 700 pages?
1: 150%, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I literally was reading this and I was like, man, if this had been in the core, like, literally, this is a huge section. Yeah. Yeah. This is a massive section. So, like, it is the biggest section of the book.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah, This is definitely the stuff that they were like, "Uh, it won't fit in the core rulebook. We'll put it in another book. But it's the kind of stuff that, like, honestly is the most interesting to me because Mm -hmm. you can turn the entire game of pathfinders like APs and, and modules and things, and use this lens that they've kind of presented mm-hmm. to look at how they do their own encounter design and how they're doing their own setups and things. And it's actually really interesting yeah, um, to kind yeah. of get that, that view of, of, you know, how they build their stuff to, to kind of crib off of.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think some of this we can kind of skim over a little bit because uh I mean, the building, the creature rules, they'd mm-hmm. already put out as a separate PDF mm-hmm. before this book even came out on how to build monsters. Although it is interesting and uh, I find it intriguing about how close they kind of are to the Starfinder uh, creature creation rules.
1: It it also, this this section, the whole, the whole yeah. chapter here really uh, just shows you how tight the math is too. Mm-hmm. Because what's really yes. interesting about this is how much of this they don't have to give you new charts, new um, tables that you have to go through. What they do instead is they do a lot of, hey, reference this DC adjustment chart that's in the core rulebook and everything kind of runs off of that. So it's mm-hmm. actually really tight. Like the difference between a level two and a level three thing is like one number. You know, it's yeah. very, very tight. And I thought that was really interesting because that I remember we were in at PaizoCon and we were in a design session where they were talking about second edition and Mark Seifter was talking about the math being tight and i didn't really like conceptualize what he meant but that's what he meant like there is yeah. very little difference um in, in a mathematical sense between a lot of different things by level yeah yeah
2: but i mean i will say that these rules did help me a lot when i was uh, looking at um dark moon veil vale, if you followed mm-hmm. that series at all um mm-hmm. and i mean
1: basically <laughs> <laughs> we were there i hope so uh <laughs> if not check out our youtube and you too can watch it yeah true or i think it's on our ventures Actually, no now. yeah it is on fully on uh our ventures feed now either mm-hmm. or or why not
2: both anyway um, uh but yeah no the the rules section though i think uh did it it is really tight and i think it actually there's very little difference between the monsters that I made using that those guidelines and the ones presented in the bestiary. And so far as that an appropriate creature level ends up working just fine. Um compared to the same ones in the bestiary. So I mean it it really does give you
0: everything you need right here. Yeah. So yeah. I also, just on the subject of kind of what Ross was talking about, even though actually I think, Ross, you were converting from 3.0 or 3.5. 3.5, yeah. 3.5 yes. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. they do have a sidebar talking about converting first edition creatures to second edition, so I appreciate mm. that they mentioned that in there, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, and then they go on to talk a little bit about uh, building hazards, things mm-hmm. like traps, natural hazards, haunts. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a building item section, which has a uh, guidelines for how to make magic items, um, yep. also mundane items. Yep. So yeah. Uh, quick shout out, I think, to the items quirk section.
1: Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I, I would not say there is much in this book that necessarily is delightful. In you know the the sense of like I kind of giggled a little bit
0: when mm-hmm. I was reading
1: it, but this item mm. quirk section hundred percent laughed my laughed my butt off. Um, so item quirks are weird magical effects that do not have a mechanical benefit that you can add to items to just make them more interesting Mm -hmm. Um, and there is a massive table if you want to roll a percentile dice to get all kinds of crazy things like there's like one of them is like it gives the ability it just comments on what's around it like it just occasionally is just like oh that's a really nice tree over there oh (laughs) there's blood a lot of it, you know, like just like <laughs> it doesn't mechanically benefit you. It's just kind of cool, like just weird, like quirky magical items or sometimes just weird like furry. You
2: have a suit of armor that's coated in fur
1: or yeah. you have a, a sword that you pick up and it gets bigger and or smaller, you know, yeah. like the, there's there's that kind of like weird stuff that again, it won't matter. Like one, one of them is really funny. It was you're just wet when you wield this weapon, you know, like you you wield the weapon. You're just damp. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I think I think one of my favorite is the time telling it just Mm. announces the current time (laughs) yeah I love it (laughs) or it's just like and I'd like to think that it does it at random like you have a ring up a ring of a you know fire resistance or something and every once in a while like three in the morning it's like it's 315 at the top of its lungs I mean non-existent magical lungs the carrying one also seems like fun just it's like hey
2: did you take your potion this morning (laughs) hey Hey, you haven't eaten in 12
0: hours. You should eat something. <laughs> you haven't eaten anything but hardtack and trail rations in five days.
3: Yes.
2: I wish and I maybe had have a some. piece of fruit. <laughs> I want something else. Axe, please just stop telling
1: me. (laughs) Yeah. And these are, these are both good. Have you tried drinking
0: the blood of Mm. your enemies? Anyway, no, they're they're
1: both good and bad. Um, Like there's ones that are that we're, we're, we're liking the ones where they talk, but there's, uh, there's a lot of ones where it's just like, you know, uh, harmless insects swarm around it. I'd probably say that's a bad thing because personally, I don't like insects like, like that, but you know, there's just, it's not. It's not big. It's just your magic item. It's one of those things like we, I remember we had like with magic items, you were supposed to roll on a chart to see things like, does it glow? Sometimes um, if it glows. And and things like that. Like this kind of expands that out into a lot more weird stuff, um, Mm -hmm. which is, again, delightful.
0: Yeah. I love, I'd love the idea of a, of a helmet that does the color washing. Where it's like anytime you put on the helmet, everything goes in like black and black and white, but or with like Sepia. maybe one color. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where it's like black and white, but with just red, so you get a whole Sin City vibe going on every time Ooh. that you're fighting
1: people. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, that'd
0: uh, be awesome. That'd be pretty great. Or everything. Just investigator looks investigator like with one yeah, of those. Or everything just looks like a Kurosawa film. Ooh. But uh Ooh, fancy. Yep. So uh, after that it goes into intelligent items, which are always fun. Mm-hmm. That's my uh, favorite
1: section. Yeah. <laughs> I love intelligent Sta- items.
0: Staple of classic fanature, fantasy mm-hmm. literature. Yep. Uh, oftentimes not known as fanature. <laughs> the uh, following section now. after that is uh, cursed items, which is it's something that has always been in the core rule books. But I think cursed items are used so rarely that I think it's fine that it's relegated to a separate book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, what, one of the things that they show in this is they give you a lot of specific examples to kind of yeah. gauge your, your stuff off of. Real quick, does
0: everyone have a favorite example?
1: (laughs) Oh, favorite example of cursed items? Yeah. Oh, I love the bag of devouring. (laughs) That's my my favorite. It makes me me just like, it's funny because they have the picture of it and it's just like, it literally has the teeth on it. So it looks like, it doesn't look like malicious, but like you could tell, like after you identify, you're gonna be like, oh, I know what that is.
2: I've just always liked the uh, Ring of Truth. I think it existed in first edition as well, but yeah. just the idea—like you put you on were, a ring you would like
1: the Ring of Truth, yeah. you just can't <laughs> tell yeah. a lie. That's your curse; you can't lie. <laughs> yeah, it, it basically
2: just makes you Jim Carrey from Liar Liar. I mean, <laughs> so that yeah, was fun I, for him, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. The other, the other kind of interesting part about the the cursed items is that they they don't feel as deadly per se at hmm. least the examples that they gave, they are usually much more inconvenient. I yeah. mean, my,
0: my favorite one might be, which is, of course, the monkey paw. Of course. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> yeah.
2: Although oh, I goodness. do think, I
0: think uh, someone in the, in the chat mentioned this also, but uh, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the bag of weasels. It's a bag <laughs> that sometimes turns your items into weasels. Which then when you try to pull them out of the bag, will run away as a weasel. I also I mean
2: now we're just talking about all the items but I also actually really like the Medusa armor. Oh um, yeah. just because it's just more annoying. It's like, "Ah, oh, man, I turned to stone again. I got to wait around."
1: Well, and it's uh, only when you're critted too. So it's not yeah. all the time. Again, like I said, yeah. it's not like like you put it on and you turn to stone like permanently. It's it's you are turned to stone for one round when you're criticaled. Mm-hmm. So it's not the worst. You it's know?
2: annoying, but it's not like, okay, this is game ending. Like my character's Yeah, done. so I feel like
1: it's it's I feel like cursed items could be making a bigger appearance just because of that kind of more flexible viewpoint that cursed just means can mean inconvenient, not deadly.
0: hmm Yeah, I will say that uh there's one of these uh the cursed um like runes mm-hmm. and cursed items, and one of them is the uh the grandstanding. <laughs> Which states that uh, whenever you, um, yeah, you demand style over pragmatism, whenever you reduced a uh, foe to zero hit points, you lose all remaining actions on your turn as you're compelled to flourish, gloat, pose, or otherwise waste your time in response. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember reading that and I actually read it incorrectly the first time that I saw it because I, I thought it read whenever you are redu- reduced to zero, Mm. But uh, so at the first the first time I read it, I thought it was like the William Shatner possum from Over the Hedge, <laughs> where you have to do a very dramatic, like over dramatic <laughs> death scene whenever you hit zero you hit points.
2: <laughs> I mean oh, for me,
0: I'm all about that dreary
2: armor though. Um <laughs> <laughs> you put it on and you're just covered in rain
0: all the time. Like, yeah, it it a little rain cloud you. that follows you, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. yep. It's pretty great. Uh, But I think we could talk about the curse items forever, but I think we we should probably move on.
1: Probably. Again, Uh, it's just fun. It's fun stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's followed by the relics, which Mm -hmm. are something that was introduced very late in first edition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I I, don't think they're actually. I don't
1: know if we ever even encountered a relic.
0: No, they were introduced in um, War for the Crown. Oh, that's why we never seen it. Okay, And uh, I found them, they were very interesting. They kind of reminded me, and Ross might know a bit about this, of the old uh, 3.5 weapons of Legacy, except for much more yes. eloquently done.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, oh, my God. That but yeah, was it's, it's kind of interesting. Anyway. You know, it's a, it's a magic item that grows with you.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So it's a fun mechanic adding that in, and uh, it makes for some interesting... You know They give a whole <laughs> bunch of fun, interesting options for it. Sorry about that, everyone. Yep. Uh, then we have artifacts, which are something, mm-hmm. again, that's usually in the core rulebook, but they come I kind of so agree rarely. that they don't need to be. Yeah. yeah. There are already things in the core rulebook that I don't felt like needed to be in there, uh, mm-hmm. such as the giant section covering basically the world, <laughs> uh, of which they then subsequently put out a book that kind of invalidates Covers really the, the need to have all the rest of that—that's uh, neither here nor there. But the uh, the artifact section is kind of fun.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it hits on a couple of the big ones: um, the Elder Sign for mm-hmm. you uh, Lovecraftian <laughs> fans, the uh, the horns of uh, Naraga
1: for the good old of you. deck of many things.
0: Yeah, the good old deck of many things, and uh, one of my personal favorites—I think Ross's as well—Sorathiel, uh, the Fate of Still.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah,
0: boy. Yeah, I love that good sword. One. I do like that it has Iomidae lore of plus 29 (laughs) Uh (laughs) and Zonkathon lore of plus 29.
1: Yeah. I I like that. They, they do establish that the, the artifacts are basically, they get their own actions. So they're fully intelligent sentient, you know, in terms of, you know, having their own abilities and getting to choose to use them or not use them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very interesting. The, you know, it, it gives you, I think the, it, it just feels I think different than like the usual, like you have to give up one of your actions to do some, give somebody else an action. They do yeah. the same thing with intelligent items also yeah. where, you know, it it's interesting because they do kind of, I think not game breaking stuff necessarily, but like sufficiently ex, you know, sufficiently epic kind of actions that you can do with them. Oh um, yeah.
0: Speaking of epic actions, I have to, I have to mention, uh, is it uh kicks the table mentions, uh, I think in, in, connection to that rune we were talking about earlier that makes you gloat over people it says uh kills goblin touchdown does backflips <laughs> so i think we're expanding on uh, sir george the kick flipper <laughs> oh, man, it is goblin murdering escapades and backflips oh no goodness <laughs> sir george why <laughs> why is sir george i was compelled sir <laughs> That's that's un-nightly, Sir George. To the curse. I'm no knight. I don't know why you call me Sir George. (laughs) I don't know. Sir is actually my first name. Uh, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like Mr. T? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Precisely. Exactly like Mr. T, as played by (laughs) Mr. T. So, if the two of you will permit me. No. I think I'm going to go on a small diatribe real quick. Okay, and just say okay. that the, uh, the following section, which is the gem and art objects, I love to death.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and in large part, it's because one of my favorite sections in the 3.5 Dungeon Master Guide was the gem and art section that was just like, here's a table that I can roll random values for treasure and and all that. Because I, I did a lot of homebrew stuff when I first started. And I referred back to, I still have it up on my shelf back behind me. I think it's, I think it's down there, somewhere down there in the bottom. And uh, I think it still has my sticky notes from high school stuck in it, marking the page for the gems and all the rest of that, because that was, you kill a monster and you get 1d4 gemstones and there's an art piece. And I just <laughs> always had people randomly roll it because I found it way more fun. Yeah. Uh, disproportionate yeah. number of black pearls. I don't know why. And so I loved the inclusion in here and I love how much attention they spent on the art objects. Um hmm. Going into things like gilded scepters with sapphires, jeweled mithril cl- crowns, divine art piece created by Chalene, Uh for the super oh, expensive ones. Platinum framed monocle, anybody? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to be classy. But anyway, it doesn't really and add. I do. Yeah. I, it doesn't really add anything, I think, major mechanically as far as a Game Mastery Guide thing is concerned. No. But I... I love the homage that oftentimes those give back to you know the Gygaxian age of D&D
1: of you should be able everything. to do everything off of a off yeah. of a D100 yeah it's like everything
0: should be just rolling to see what happens that's, it's a <laughs> pleasure to meet, to meet you, meet you. <laughs> Ross Ross and Meyer we're on the same page <laughs> woo the uh, after that's the afflictions Yes, which Far I think Jordan uh, Jordan mentioned in pa- passing earlier. But uh, Technus is in here. Yep, that always makes me happy. Uh, does, does it? Yep. <laughs> I was
1: going to say. I mean, you get you get curses, diseases, um, drugs. Froker is also cursed. Yeah.
2: Yes.
0: Um, Rick, you a had a character like tetanus of tetanus once, right? I did, and I've inflicted tetanus on more than one player. But Yay. Uh, it's. It's always that fun level of uh, versimilitude when I, I mention, I'm like, just like, yeah, you, then you cut yourself on like this, the rusty, you know, edge of this, um, this gate as you're trying to push your way into the graveyard. And they're like, oh, God, am I going to get tetanus? I'm like, go ahead and make me a fortitude safe. <laughs>
1: <But laughs> now that why you not? mention it, sure. Now that oh, you no. mention
0: it, you probably should. Uh, the consequences of my actions. Yeah, I will say that the uh, the affliction se- se- section also includes a phenomenal piece of plague doctor art.
1: Oh mm. yeah, yeah, it's very nice.
0: Uh, do you guys have a favorite affliction? Mine's tetanus. <laughs> 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 uh, of course it is.
2: <laughs> uh, You know, I mean, let's see here. I I think the cell uh, swords folly. Um, is fun just because it's like basically you uh, get confused at the start of combat. It's exactly the sort of thing like, uh, you know, maybe um, an upset witch or something like that would give to a uh, give to some warrior that uh, pissed them off. Um, yep. And also uh, language. Sorry, you're right. Ross is the first. Uh-huh. Ah, it wasn't wow. me for once. Congratulations, Jordan. That was, uh, <laughs> you know what? Honestly, I should have bet against myself on that one. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, at any rate, though, it's just like, yeah, you know, it, it confuses you at the beginning of combat, like you're some sort of scrub. Um, yeah. So I just think that's like a funny, like, haha, now you suck at combat. Yeah. Have fun with that warrior.
0: Um, I th- I think I know what Jordans will be, but I'm curious if
1: it is. Oh, it's probably not what you think it is. Um, I picked uh, brainworms. That's exactly what <laughs> I thought Did it, it all, was. <laughs> Man, you're like totally insane with me. I, I <laughs> brainworms I, I from
0: space. Jordan, come on!
1: <laughs> I was gonna say they're extra planar, like brainworms that infest your brain, and uh, it's a fortitude save and goes through its stages, but you are stupefied. Mm. and on uh, stage two when you take damage you must succeed at a will save against the diseases dc or become confused for a round <laughs> and i uh, confusion is just fun like i know it's bad and it feels yeah. like when it's done on you it's just not fun but like mm. confusion is just chaos and it's just a little yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep Brain also worms. it's all
0: wrath of con so that's pretty mm. great
1: oh uh, yeah
0: <laughs> old school wrath of con but uh yeah one thing that uh after getting that humor out of the way. Uh, One thing that I do want to mention here, and I think it does a good job of kind of showing how the uh, Paizo itself has grown, but I think the industry itself has grown over the past 10 years since Pathfinder originally launched. The the section on drugs here, I feel is handled very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also appreciate the fact that they do take the time to talk about how drugs and drug use is a sensitive subject. Mm. And mm-hmm. about how it's something that many people struggle with. And so it's handled in a way that is that's serious. It's not something like, okay, well, you have a drug problem and then you can just wipe away that problem with a quick you know trip over to a low-level cleric.
3: Yeah,
2: uh,
0: and at the same time, it also reaffirms the idea of having those those X cards. It's for some people, you know, particularly those of us uh, unfortunate enough to have lost someone that we know to drug use, or if you struggle with it yourself in the, past. or if you struggle with yourself, mm-hmm. that it's something that you should consider before including it in your game. Yeah, and it's tied inexorably to the setting of Galerian. Um Catapesh is literally named after a drug, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, you know, at the same time, it's. I feel like they did a good job in here of making it something that you can include. It can maybe add an extra level of not only versimilitude, but also an extra level of uh, of role play to a game, as long as it's not doing so at the expense of someone else's enjoyment.
1: So yeah, I-, I, I, I appreciate that they do include alcohol as a drug. Yes. Um, and so it, the addiction rules and everything that apply to drugs apply to alcohol as well. Um if you want to add that to your game, you can if that is a sensitive subject as it is for a lot of people. Yeah. Um I would take that whole section and just get rid of it, you know. Yeah.
0: But I I am glad that it shows how you know Pizo is handling it with the sensitivity that it deserves. Mhm. Mm. So I guess serious part of that over, Uh, it then moves on to talk about uh, building worlds, Uh, kind of breezing through this next section because it's pretty extensive. It talks about like creating worlds, Mm. nations, uh, settlements, the plains. Um, It gives stat blocks for all of those, which is a good place that they kind of first start diving into the stat blocks. And they've simplified the stat blocks from first edition because-
1: Very much so.
0: Yeah. There was a lot of stuff that would come with the stat block for a city that- you know, I just didn't use. And yeah. so I'm I'm glad that they simplified it down to this is the stuff you need to know. Mm-hmm. The rest of this can just, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, can and you- if nothing else, it really does give you that um, kind of hit list of of different things, like what kind of government does it have? What's its yeah. you know primary economy driven off of? Do mm. they are they religious? And, you know, if so, is it pantheistic or not? You know, yeah. Um, there's a lot of those kind of issues that you may not just think of if you're just going to world building, you know, for the first time. So it definitely gives you a really good, you know, basically set of things to consider as you're mm-hmm. really fleshing out a location. Um, I appreciate also that they did top down and bottom up world building. Yeah. So, um, top down is I have the huge nation map of, you Mm -hmm. know, everywhere. And then I, I flush it out as I go. Bottom up is I start with the kind of like Paizo did where it starts with like just kind of the, not even the inner sea, they started with Verisha and just kind of slowly expanded bits and pieces until it was the entire world. Yeah,
0: there was, I can't remember who I was, uh, listening to that was talking about world building and I'm sorry if I cut you off there, Ross. No, Uh, no, you're good. But they were talking about how when they first started doing, when they first started gaming, that they created a small town. I think they said it was like a town of 500 people. And they're like, you know, the party starts there. And they started in a tavern because everyone did back in the beginning of Mm -hmm, mm D&D. And uh, it was like, there's a mine over here and there's kobolds. And then they went into the mine and he was like, and I didn't ever think about anything else until someone's just like, okay, well, you know, there's that forest nearby. What's that forest called? And he was like, okay. And he's like, I came up with the name of the forest on the spot and wrote it down. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, and then I needed a a mysterious stranger to come into town. And then it was like, okay, he came into town. I was like, where did you come from stranger? It's like, oh, this town, it's on the other side of the forest. And then it was basically, it's like, he was putting the tracks down in front of the train that Mm is like, I didn't worry about what was on the other side of that mountain until the players wanted to go to the other side of that mountain. It's like, I didn't introduce that there was another country until I wanted to introduce that there was a you know a secret cabal attempting to start a war between the two countries and uh i've always i've always found that interesting and i've never had the time or uh, uh and considering the podcast i will probably never have the time to do something like that myself but <laughs> i find that very intriguing it's a difficult uh, for those endeavor of you've been yeah. able to do that yeah Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it kind of goes into that, um, that shared storytelling uh, kind yeah. of approach to where you it does give you that flexibility to not have put a lot of work into something that the players are not interested in when they want to go off in a different path. So um, it's a it's an interesting I mean, there's, a, there's 100 different ways to do this stuff. And I think that there's a lot of, if you're good at improv, that's the way to go. I'm terrible at improv. So like, that's not probably the <laughs> best way for me to do it. Just because when people are like, come up with a name for this person, I'm like, Bob. <laughs> well, i mean
2: some people are named bob i mean that's yeah, true but like
1: i'm not i'm not going i'm not good with names i'm not good with mm. you know locations and i'm even worse at writing it down after the fact so it's yeah. a whole thing
0: bonus uh bonus find the path gm advice for this mm. uh this stream here uh, i always like to create at least 12 male and female names that sound like they would come from the region they're in and then just have that on a document or on a Mm. piece of paper nearby. So that Mm. when someone's just like, what's this NPC's name? I'm just like, okay, I've got it here. And usually with a couple like bullet points of like, here's some interesting things about this person just so that you have like instant NPCs because never, that's the one thing that trips up everybody where it's just like, Mm. oh, I'm going to stop and I'm going to make a diplomacy check to find out what's been going on in this building. You random beggar, you know, it's like, okay, he tells you this thing while petting his dog. And it's like, suddenly, I need to know the name of this guy and his dog. Oh, it's <laughs> definitely the dog, dog first, though. We want to know the dog's
1: name. Then What's the, the dog's Harrison's name? name? <laughs> Scruffy.
0: They're all named Scruffy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what kind of dog is it? Does yep, it like Scruffy. treats? Can I be its friend? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you have more dogs? Yep. Scruffy <laughs> will die the way he lived.
0: <laughs> ah, Scruffy. Yep. Uh yeah, but honestly that kind of you know the world building is the end of this and it is uh it is ex- extensive. Yeah. Uh but in a very good kind of way. Yeah. If you're into home brewing, very good stuff. Yeah. Uh you want to jump uh jump us into chapter three here, Ross? Yeah, sure. Chapter three is That's where we're getting through this book. Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh chapter three is subsystems so basically these are a lot of um a lot of rules within the rules essentially these are ways to handle specific uh specific plot points or ideas that codifies how to do some of it um Mm -hmm. that are the, the
1: uncommon stuff that doesn't come up all the time
2: yeah but they could still be very important parts of whatever adventure it is. Um, mm-hmm. These include things like influence, chases, infiltration. Um, exploration is in here.
0: Vehicles like I, like that I they do use have the to mention exploration. Yeah, that also. they actually <laughs> use the term exploration because I think it was just mm-hmm. originally called exploration. It was. Uh, yeah, although it, I think
1: it, it, It's common now. Like that's what everybody I think calls it now is exploration.
0: <laughs> well, that's true. And also exploration mode is one of the modes of play. Yeah. So oh, I, I can see them that. not reusing point. it. Um, yeah. I'm surprised that they used reputation in here because it doesn't correspond to reputation in the Pathfinder Society. Yeah.
1: It is yeah they, I think they mentioned that it's separate um, in, a, in a sidebar. Yeah, yeah they,
0: they, they mentioned that there is reputation in the Pathfinder Society, but I'm surprised they reused the term.
2: But if you have uh, played Adventure Pass before, some of these systems might very well be familiar. Yeah. Like victory points, there are multiple Adventure Pass that have something
0: like a victory point mm-hmm. thing. Some um, of our, some of our listeners may be familiar with the research mechanics too.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: perhaps, perhaps. I mean, I am cause you know, librarian. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, oh, go. Oh, sorry. Go for no, it. I was you- just going to say, I mean, yeah, there, um, are all sorts of different ways to add a bit of like spice or flair to your games. Um, which you may not have considered. Uh, But these are all fun systems, I think.
1: And they're not like rules-heavy systems either. Like I I appreciated that it is, there are some guidelines as far as like if you're doing a chase and you want to put obstacles, this is what that is. And here's different types of chases, but it's not. And then this is the way that you do the initiative for a chase, blah, 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 blah. Like it's, it's much more in line with kind of, they're trying to simplify the system in terms of, you can still do something unique like a chase and treat Mm -hmm. it like it's a combat. You can do a a research and treat it like it's um, an exploration.
0: Yeah. And I feel like almost more than any other chapter, um, almost more than anything else that they put out for second edition. I feel like this chapter sort of shows the legacy of first edition Mm -hmm. because all of these are mechanics that they developed over time, the exploration for Kingmaker, the victory points, which I think originally came out in um, um
1: it's not Curse of the Council Crimson Thieves, it, oh, yeah, Council Thieves, yeah. You know
0: mm-hmm. the the influence mechanics, the the research mechanics. I think the research mechanics were introduced in Mummy's Mask. Uh, yeah. Heck, the chase mechanics came back out all the way back in Curse of the Crimson Throne. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like this is this chapter kind of is quintessential them showing everything that they've learned from everything leading up to second edition and then bringing it all into second edition with a whole bunch of rule systems that help people with, you know, the mechanics don't necessarily work for this one specific instance, but sometimes you do just need to show I can build up reputation with a group and have Mm -hmm. a mechanic that you can turn to it with. Uh, I also appreciate
1: leadership is in here. So if you wanted to, you know, raise an army, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or yeah, I don't yeah. know, a, uh, a revolutionary group or something like that. Like you can, it has the system for how you can do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I also appreciate that, uh, that Jason Bull, was it Jason Bowman? I think it was, it might've been Steve and Randy McFarlane. I can't remember which one, uh, didn't lie to me at PaisoCon 2019 when I asked if they were working on vehicle mechanics. Because <laughs> it's in here. <laughs> because it's in here, and uh, and I think they're pretty decent. It's, was, it's pretty was...
1: good. It feels a little Starfinder with like starship combat, kind of like they took some of that into the vehicle combat for Second Edition. Yeah um
0: also it has a great piece of art in here i think it's page uh, 158 which is uh i'm going to guess that that's some sort of giant uh looks kind of like an orc but maybe it's an ogre just judged on size riding a triceratops running away from the uh oh the yeah from and the sorceress on oh, a flying yeah, carpet oh yeah i assumed that i assumed <laughs> that was an ogre but Sione i like that they're on Lim, a flying yeah. carpet
1: after it so it's like ah yep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's like there's a lot of things going
2: on in this encounter I just like it when somebody actually uses a flying carpet. I think that's a I
1: love
0: drastically I underutilized. Nifty. Yeah, it's true. Also, Triceratops, mm-hmm. highly underused. Vehicle. Mount, yes. <laughs> I <was gonna> say, <laughs> Mount. If, if Jess were here,
1: she would be mentioning how awesome it is.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't figure we'll get much into chapter three because it really just covers a whole bunch of subsystems. But the subsystems yep. in there are very interesting.
1: Yeah, it's, kinda, it's it's interesting because it's a lot. It feels kind of like Pathfinder Unchained where you put in like the alternate rule systems and they've kind of just front loaded that and said, here, we can go ahead and try some of this stuff, um, yeah. which is really so, interesting.
0: So it's interesting that you say that because uh, chapter three, I felt like was them taking everything from the various um, different ultimates the ultimate combat, the ultimate magic, and Mm -hmm. then rolling them all into one place, the ultimate campaign, Mm -hmm. the following chapter, which is chapter four, which is the variant rules, feels like Pathfinder Unchained. Yeah, yeah. It feels like they just went, you know what? Here's the Unchained rules if you Mm -hmm. want to really go for it. So uh, this section contains a variety of different rules and ways to change your game. Uh, including things like the ability score variance, which is basically 2E.5, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. alignment variance, the deep background, which I love. Oh my God. Say, that, so is, that
1: is going back to ultimate campaign and like how you built your character in ultimate Absolutely. campaign. Yeah. yeah, Very, very interesting for, for people who want something a little off the books <laughs> in yeah. terms of what, and, what's and available. And much
0: deeper. Like even if you're not yeah. using the mechanic side of that, I feel like that is a great way to really develop a character.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's what I liked about ultimate campaign was like, if I got really stuck on a character, I could always go to camp ultimate campaign, roll a couple of dice and get some inspiration on, on how I wanted to stitch a couple of pieces together to make it make sense. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. They have a section on feats and features, which covers uh, dual class characters, uh, the free mm-hmm. archetype rule, uh, ancestry pair gone, the simplified ancestry and the simplified, uh, skill feats. Mm-hmm. There's the, uh, zero level characters.
2: It's an interesting seems concept.
0: Like a, yeah. I I feel yeah. like it would make um, the moment I read this, my first thought was if I was running a game that started with something having like tragic happen somewhere mm. where it's the party shows up to deal with it, um, you know, off, like off
1: tyrants grasp,
0: <laughs> uh, almost more along the lines of, um, you know, if the, if the entirety of the story is about a group of You know, players showing up, and this entire place has been devastated, and they're going to be the heroes of it. Of it would be great for a one-off of portraying the average people, and then what happened to the town. Hmm. You know, where it's just like Mm. these are the these are the zero level, you know, town guardsmen that tried to stop this hobgoblin invasion. Yeah, Uh, Mm. and actually portraying it kind of in a cinematic first-person view. Um, the I will point out that it does include a, a a neat picture of a kid velros yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. he's got like the scar on his nose and the same like mm, uh, Mm -hmm. expression to him so uh there's the magic item variant rules which i think would be great for doing something if you want to do a low magic campaign
3: yeah
2: so Mm -hmm. it's
0: just kind of here's rules for if the party just doesn't have magic items Mm -hmm. uh proficiency without level um i will admit that like that is a staggering amount of reworking of the very core mechanics of this game i think they even warn you in there that this requires that you reinvent the wheel that is pathfinder second edition
1: yeah, yeah in terms of its overall description just at the at the chapter um you know first chapter page um it says changes the fundamental math of the proficiency system to tell stories where being outnumbered by weaker foes remains a challenge and high level characters are less superhuman. So yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's fundamentally changing the math of the game and and if you're bad at math, probably not great.
0: Yeah, it's basically here's the rules if uh if you like Dark Souls and want to mm-hmm. play a Dark Souls game, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why not start at zero level too? Uh,
1: <laughs> just stack on the difficulty. <laughs> you, just,
0: yeah, you start off with a loincloth and nothing.
1: Oh goodness, um, I think we just found another uh, Patreon goal. <laughs> we we'll to a Dark Souls game. <laughs> All right, that's 3.
0: Uh, Goodness, yep. we're uh, we're doing good here, and there's the skill point system, which basically gives you something akin to uh, Pathfinder one e skill points mm-hmm. instead it's of using the uh, perfect similar ish, yeah, yeah. similar ish, adjacent. Uh, and then there's a the stamina system for those of you who played Starfinder and want more of that.
1: It is basically mm-hmm. the Starfinder health system to give you stamina <laughs> that you hit before health, and you can take a short rest with your resolve points to get the get the stamina back. So mm-hmm. it's that health system basically just brought over to to E. Yeah. yeah.
0: Are there any of these variant rules that you guys were uh, were really intrigued by? Um. So
2: I mean, deep background. I think we're all um, yeah. big fans of here. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with besides that because you know. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. Low-hanging fruit.
2: Yeah. uh, For me, I'm interested in seeing what the free archetype does. Um, Mm. Like, in practice, I think in theory it's fine, but it does add a lot of extra feats to a character. Yeah. So, it's like, I don't know. I would definitely have to see it work before I would give it a pure up or down vote, but I'm very interested in the idea behind it.
1: Yeah, I'm interested in the stamina system. Um, I I play a lot of Starfinder now, and uh, I'm curious to see if it would with the new action economy how that would work out well, because mm-hmm. it is one of those things where you're basically giving all of your characters a boot a boost, and you know a couple times a day they basically get free healing. Yeah. So yeah. you know how does that work with like a cleric that's able to do quite a lot of healing or if somebody with the medicine skill because those are not as prominently. Put into the Starfinder system, so I'd be mm. kind of curious just to see if it's if it's how balanced it is at the very end.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it'd be interesting. Um, I find myself actually kind of intrigued by the uh, the ancestry paragon mm, mm-hmm, for really mm-hmm. delving into a character's ancestry and such. It it strikes me a lot like the free archetype, uh, mm-hmm. except for ancestry feats tend to be weaker, it's and true. so yeah, it's like yeah, maybe it wouldn't be as uh, as unbalanced and.
2: I mean, there is um, one point in its favor as well, is that oftentimes for Ancestry feats, there are multiples that you can only get at first level that you cannot train into or out of. Like for if you're playing a half orc, you can choose, you know, like tusks or you can choose dark vision, but you can't have both. (laughs) And (laughs) so it's just like, eh, but I want both.
0: Yes, so, your, your yeah. 20 year old half orcs baby teeth don't fall out and suddenly tusks grow in <laughs> um, orcs are weird yeah.
2: <laughs> that's all I've got to say somebody just walks up to us and is like how did that happen orcs are weird, orcs oh, are weird. Oh, man. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: if it was a goblin it would make sense yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah they probably lose teeth all the time Yeah, sometimes you hit them and they bounce around like a croquet ball it's weird uh, <laughs> I see so, uh, yeah, and then uh, after that is Chapter Five, which mm-hmm. is uh, the NPC gallery, and it's full of NPCs.
1: Yep. have yep. note on this, that's interesting, is they give you a list of NPCs with some stats and things, and a guide on how if you want to convert them from human to something else, because they're all they're all yeah. human throughout this mm-hmm. is you know, basically do this, add dark vision, remove something here. Like, I think it's really kind of quick and easy if you're just wanting to kind of off the cuff, put an NPC mm. in play. Um, so it's, it's also got a lot of cool art in it. Um, if yeah. you're just, you know, looking for the inspiration of the description of the person, because obviously a stat block doesn't oh, yeah. describe what they look like. There's a lot of interesting um, art in here to kind of inspire you on how you want to, you know, describe them.
2: Yeah. Also, there's a librarian now, so if you need Ross to show up in one of your games, <laughs> we uh, send it out Ross
0: for you. Yeah,
3: <laughs>
2: how you know the they were doing research that? research
0: mechanics. Us. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and honestly, it includes a whole bunch of interesting uh, character. Again, the, the artwork in this section is phenomenal. The sidebars are all really good, uh, providing some in- interesting information. It's it's interesting because in first edition, that's kind of what the game master guide became known for was the place Mm -hmm. that had all the stat blocks for all the NPCs. Yeah. Uh, And then eventually put out the NPC codex and we may eventually get a two E NPC codex sometime in the distant future. But uh, in the meantime, I I figured this is probably going to get a lot of use, especially in society play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but, uh, and, and also if you just find yourself saying, you know, the party got drunk and I need them to, uh, to fight some town guardsmen now because apparently they're resisting arrest uh, <laughs> and then it turns into a giant free-for-all you've got like barmaids in here and bartenders mm. and the town guard and I'm sure some bards in there somewhere
2: <laughs> yeah I mean pretty much any so common profession going on. yeah there's gonna be in yeah. there yeah don't so start fighting the, the, uh, the smithy that's for sure
0: yeah <laughs> hit the hammer, head with the hammer. Yeah. Uh, and following that is the glossary and index, which is exactly what you would expect from a glossary and index. No, surprise to say there. no
1: more about that. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so um, I guess before we get to the question, closing thoughts, mine, uh, mine tend to just be that uh, I feel like this book is a lot more useful than the one E version of it was.
1: I agree with that, um,
0: which I found very rarely using, Uh, All the optional rules, again, make it feel kind of like a cross between the Game Master Guide and Pathfinder Unchained. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And I feel like this book does a great job of illustrating Paizo taking all the lessons that they learned since they launched Pathfinder in 2007. And... um, well, I think Pathfinder itself came out in 2009, but the Adventure Path started then. But taking everything that they learned and all of the optional rules that they conglomerated together, and then distilling it down into something that goes, not only is this great guide for learning to play Pathfinder, but honestly, it's a great guide for learning to run tabletop games. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, regardless of even if you if you just if you play other game systems, there are there are tips and tricks in here that apply to any tabletop game.
2: Yep, and yeah, I mean, I think that's a brilliant summation. That's pretty much my thoughts exactly. So, eh. yeah,
1: I mean, awesome. especially especially if you homebrew <laughs> in second edition, this is a must buy, like hands yeah. down.
0: Yeah, Ex- especially homebrew. It's yeah. uh, although again, there's there's a lot that you can take of interest from this for anyone. Just yeah looking to perfect your craft there are things that i read in here that i felt like i learned something and i've been mm-hmm. running games for over 20 years yeah so <laughs> yeah same uh, well do we have some uh you want to get some questions from the chat we've got some questions from the discord what do we want to start
1: with uh let me start with the discord ones i think because uh, there are there's some overlap with the chat where they've asked the same question so
0: okay, okay. cool we'll figure it out
2: so should I go on ahead and uh, tell us our first question? Sure. All right. So our first question comes from Mirror Nocticula Herald from our Discord channel. Um, so Hello, always, Mira. yeah, always glad to have a Herald of uh, Nocticula uh, here. <laughs> She's very interesting. Always a pleasure. Yes. Uh, which of the alternate rule systems in the book do you like the most? And which do you think would have made the best addition to the core rules? Um, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, again, I think we're all big fans of the deep background system. Um, uh, I also, however, think that, um, if I were going to add something to the core rules, the incremental alignment system, I think would be very helpful, especially for newer, newer players, Mm -hmm. just because of how alignment can trip up a lot of folks. Like I'm chaotic. Good. Well, what does that mean? I mean, I'm chaotic first, or I'm good first, or like. Am I just sort of weird? I don't know what I'm doing. So yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that would be a very handy one to have.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the uh, the gradual ability increases I think would have been uh, an interesting system to add in um, because it is mm. the, it it is always that kind of verisimilitude that's weird where I hit a, a level and suddenly I have more stat I have more stat points. And it's just like one day I'm just a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, and doing it at a more gradual pace can can kind of ameliorate that for just for veris, verisimilitude's sake. Um, mm. This again, the stamina system I think is interesting. I don't again I don't know how balanced it would be. I don't I don't really think it needs to be in the core game just because that, that is kind of a uniquely Starfinder y system, and I think mm. differentiating the systems is kind of important. So if nothing else, like it. It's an option if you play a lot of Starfinder and want to try 2E. Um, it yeah. kind of makes it easier for you to jump over and be like, oh, yeah. I. Because the thing with with the stamina system that I find is I don't freak out until I get to the hit points. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> no, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't oh, know if that no. would work really well with the action economy <laughs> of three actions where you can get dropped and, you know, who yeah. knows how many actions.
2: It's serious business all of a sudden. <laughs> My I <know>. lost actual <laughs> hit
1: points. stamina is empty. I'm taking real hits. <laughs>
0: No. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're all in agreement that the the deep background is probably the system uh, that I liked the most. The one that I think would have probably made the best addition to the core rules might have just been the point buy. Mm. Uh, I always like having a, a number of different ways um, mm-hmm. to make stats. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's we
1: did point buy in first edition, you know, and yeah. and yeah. that was a changeover from rolling dice for your uh, for your stats. From was it D and D that does that?
0: Well, yeah. And Pathfinder does it too. There's, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's always an option in Pathfinder and mm-hmm. that's, there's a certain subsect of, of tabletop gamers who are firmly under the impression that you're, uh, if you're not rolling your ability scores, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm.
1: As somebody you with Pathfinder, I, I mean, vehemently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess nothing but yeah. trash stats.
0: <laughs> yeah. The, the only time that I've ever, um, I've, I've done just rolled ability scores and everything before. Mm-hmm. The only time I've ever found a way to really balance it is, uh, there were uh, I was playing in a game that I had six players, and I just had everyone roll one ability score and then write down all six numbers that everyone rolled, and that was everyone's, and they could just arrange hmm. them however they wanted. Hmm. Um, but of course, then you always had that one person that rolled like a seven. Oh, everyone's and everyone's like the- yeah. God. <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> We're the most unlikable party ever. We've got five charismas of seven. <laughs> <laughs> And one charisma of five. It's the dwarf. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. So yeah, that's, that's what I would say
2: uh, for question number two. So for home games, um, let's see here. Do, do do Um Are you using any of the alternate systems? Um, so the, what for that first games? part, we do nothing yeah. but produce
3: this content.
2: <laughs> for the first part, I don't think I have much in the way of home games at this at this point. But uh, let's see here. In addition, though, uh, Ro- sorry, these are all from Rose from our Discord channel. By the way, uh, I should have mentioned that first. Hey Rose, hello, hello.
0: I guess and, sort of home game we have is Tales of Dark Moon Val, and we are not eh. using any of those rules for Tales of Dark Moon Yeah,
2: true. It's it's the closest thing we have. I mean, we we had a. Uh, um, Plague Stone game going, but it's yeah. We did a, of a lot Stone of other- when
1: the game first came out. I think it was even before the Game Master kind came out. So
2: yeah, but it's been a it's been a while. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on. Um, but we had yeah. she did have questions for thoughts on gradual ability boost, which I think we did cover, and free archetypes, mm-hmm. which we did cover. Um, What do you think of the new research rules? Um, Which I think Rick is probably going to have the most familiarity with
0: that. Um, And also, do you like... I like them. Hmm? I was was just going to say, I I like the new research rules. I feel that they are less cumbersome than Mm -hmm. uh, they were in first edition. Mm. And uh, I also like how they... I think one Mm. of the... Excuse me. I think one of the examples that they gave or I think it was the example they gave for a library was something mm. like a Druid's Glade that had yeah. like the information stored there. Mm-hmm. And I like how they make a point to show that you could research through a variety of different sources. So all in all, I think it's it's interesting. I love to see it in play. and mm-hmm. uh, especially with second edition, uh, I, I've always liked the way that they have the critical failure rules. And how that can kind of make some interesting stuff for research. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I like that you find it's not that you don't find anything. It's that you find the wrong thing. So, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's that it's that thing of like actually taking a step back instead of just you just don't make any forward progress that I think is kind of interesting. And in a lot of these subsystems, it has that same kind of a vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, let's see, or she continues by asking, um, so do you like the deep backgrounds or the incremental alignment system, which I believe we did also cover both of those. <laughs> yes. We're big uh, fans
0: of the deep background.
2: Yes. Oh my, it's so good. Y'all so yeah. good. <laughs> um, and then finally she, uh, asks stamina point. Should they have been standard, which I know Jordan touched on a little bit. Um, yeah,
1: I, I don't think so. Um, yeah. It's that, it's uh, that thing with second edition when we I know when we first started playtesting it, one of the things that everybody was worried about was would it still feel like Pathfinder? And mm-hmm. I feel like the stamina system doesn't feel like Pathfinder.
2: I also um I mean I have played, you know, I I have also played both Starfinder and Pathfinder 2E. Yeah. And I think that my biggest thing for Pathfinder 2e is that non magical healing is a lot more efficient in Pathfinder 2e. In Starfinder, it's a little yeah. harder to come by, which makes the stamina system, I think, much more important um, because you can keep going mm-hmm. by just spending your resolve point. But in Pathfinder, I don't think it's ne- absolutely necessary just because you can just have a doctor who just sits there and, like, you know, heals people outside of combat
0: yeah, and anybody can train in the medicine skill. Very true. yeah um, <laughs> this might be it might be considered a little bit of a controversial view, but I kind of feel like let Starfinder have that. Mm. you mm-hmm. know, it's it's a fun, interesting thing that Starfinder has. and can see that. Uh, I know a lot of people have kind of. They're, I've I've listened to some stuff, some behind the scenes stuff where they, you know, some people say it's like, oh, well, they use Starfinder to play test ideas for Pathfinder second edition. And some of the behind the scenes stuff was like, well, we were actually working on some stuff for second edition. And then the Starfinder team, you know, overheard or we talked about it. And then they went, that's a great idea. Let's try implementing that in this new system because why not? It's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the stamina system feels distinctly Starfinder. Mm-hmm. And just let Starfinder have it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They can share the bulk system. Yeah. <laughs> We're already they sharing share bulk. bulk. <laughs> what
0: more do you want from us? <laughs> All your but- fantasy characters looking enviously on at my levitating platform. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I have a hover droid to carry my tank. So I have anyway, a levitating yeah. platform, too, though. It's just
2: called a floating disc. That's because I have my floating disc.
0: Screw you, Technomancer. Come back when you can cast higher than six level spells. Anyway. <laughs> but so that's I, I
2: um I think that pretty much covers Rose's questions, though. Like I said, we did cover a lot of her questions just in our general discussion, I think. It turns out um, Rose
0: has some very astute questions. So absolutely. They, were, uh, they came up organically during the discussion. So but yeah. thank you. For the questions. Um,
2: good couch from our discord uh, has hey, chimed sir. in with uh, hello. Hello. Uh, y'all are uh, more into the illustrated covers or the faux
0: leather special edition covers. Um, so <laughs> as, I know as, Rick has his as much as I like my, my faux leather cover here. <laughs> I do just kind of like the artwork. Yeah, like the artwork is so beautiful, and while the the leather covers are very nice, it's it's almost more of a display piece. You can see uh, right there. I've got mm-hmm. a couple others back there, uh, propping up with my books there. But I tend to get both, and then yeah. uh, I'm not one of those people that never takes the faux leather one out of the plastic wrap. <laughs> but mm, yeah, I, I don't tend to use them for anything other than like home you know, I've got one that I keep at home. And then a lot of times when, when we're actually back in the recording studio, I'll have ones that I leave there where it's like, Oh, I'll, I'll need the best theory eventually. So I'll leave this here, even though I've got my fancy one back at home. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I like the faux leather ones. Um, I just like it when books are fancy and like, <laughs> you don't see many like leather bound books anymore. So yeah. like, those are always cool. And I use them even though I know that they're like, you know, collector's edition and stuff. So like, cause like I have the, the, special edition core rule book that's the mm. the same kind of leather construction and i, I just use it as my regular one <laughs> i was gonna say as rick just points up it is
0: <laughs> so actually and you can barely see it over my shoulder there but there's the uh, uh the faux leather curse of the crimson throne up there yeah, with nice. my first edition stuff nice
2: yep uh so the librarian in me does like <laughs> you know old school book covers um that's always a treat yeah but I prefer the regular covers for two reasons. First, I just like the pretty pictures. Um, They're pretty, pretty there's pictures, and I like them. That. And there's nothing wrong with that, yeah. Second, despite the fact that I'm a librarian, <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> have a history of my books um being very well loved (laughs) Mm. so you know spending extra for like the the special edition covers when i'm probably just gonna ding it up and it's gonna get cat scratches and all that stuff like yep nah i'll just i'll just stick with the regular one
0: yeah see the culprit there behind you
1: yep yep
2: she's awakening from her nap which is probably fine
1: (laughs) better hurry this up then before she gets angry <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: she'll uh, yeah she'll probably just want to like nuzzle the microphone or something yep all right what else do we
0: have from discord
2: so our fourth question uh, is coming from array from our discord at least i think that's how you pronounce it i could be doing that wrong and i apologize ahead of time
1: array array,
2: array? yeah yeah um, you asks uh what subsystem <laughs> and alternate rules could you see using in your own games and are there any you flat out don't like at all ooh hmm so for me um i actually really like the dueling rules and i think that's just because i grew up with a lot of things like you know star wars and uh princess bride and stuff like that so i've always just liked the idea of like the one-on-one duel and the back and forth and rip and all that fun stuff. Um, I'd love do to the do the dual that. fates. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, I, I like the infiltration rules. Um, mm. I, I remember wrong <laughs> way back here when I did a homebrew for Pathfinder and I did an infiltration like a bank heist kind of a thing mm. and, uh, didn't really have a lot of good guidance on that. And, uh, so I just kind of made it up. <laughs> And so um, I think infiltration is just really interesting because it also has that like you're trying like the the system itself has the you're trying not to be noticed. And so like you accumulate points of basically notice that some people Mm. are eventually going to notice, huh, the guards are missing. The alarms are disabled. They know that somebody's here kind of a thing. So I think Mm. that that's kind of really interesting and I'd like to run it just to see how it goes. As Mm. far as something I just flat out don't like, I mean... It, I don't really I'm not really that kind of person that's gonna rag on something that's an optional system yeah honestly um, I like all of the uh, all the subsystems because we've used almost all of them I think except maybe vehicular combat really mm. um, at one point or another and you know it's just fun it's it, some of the more memorable moments in my gaming career have been moments where we're using one of the subsystems because it's like a full-on stop everybody's gonna do something different. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of like a nice change of pace. So, I mean, if, if you don't like the, the optional systems, I'm not really going to rag on it.
0: <laughs> well, I'll take up that challenge and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'm not going to rag on any of this. Cause again, I think, um, I think that they took a number of systems that I may have been willing to, um, critique rather harshly in first edition and have streamlined them and distilled them down to much better versions. If there's a system that I can see kind of doing without, it's probably the influence system Mm. just because a lot of that is something that can just be handled organically through role play anyway and doesn't necessarily Mm. need to be codified into a mechanic system. Now, for some people, it is very useful if it is done Mm. that way where it's I know exactly what I need to do to get this information out of people to figure out what their, their secrets are to influence them. But it is a system that I think that a lot of times you could just organically role play your way through as opposed yeah. mm-hmm. it, to it's, it's to include a mechanic that, in there.
1: Yeah, it's good for groups that don't really have strong role players. Yeah. If you're, you know, the, yeah. the kind of people mm. that say like, man, I don't know what to say to this person, but like roll a dice, I succeed, you know. Um, if you've got that kind of a group where like, you know, they're not so good in the role play, I think it's a it's a valuable system. But most I feel like a lot of players are probably not going to use it because of exactly what Rick's saying. It's it's you can do it more yeah. organically. Yeah.
0: yeah. Although, to be perfectly honest, again, it's it's kind of like having a box of cookies and that's the sugar cookie in there, which for me is the one that I'll eat last, but I would still mm-hmm. eat it and enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm just not a sugar cookie kind of (laughs) guy.
2: I think for me, the uh, oatmeal raisin, I guess, in this, uh, in this cookie analogy. analogy. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Um, I mean, I, I, so they've done skill points very differently from what they did in first edition. So if you're thinking of it like it's first edition, it's, it's really not exactly. Um, And I get the idea behind it. Like ultimately you just end up with characters that have more varied skills rather than like, two or three legendary skills basically. Um, But it just, I don't know. It just didn't feel absolutely necessary. I mean, I could see some groups maybe wanting to do it and, you know, I don't think it would be a bad thing. It just feels like maybe more trouble than, you know, I would want to do for most
0: campaigns. Yeah. So um, as far as the system that I like, and I could definitely see using in my own games, uh, and this is a little bit of a cheap, uh, considering this one is so versatile, it's almost a little bit cheap of me to say this. Uh, it's probably going to be the victory points. Mm-hmm. I like the simple mechanic of it where a success gives you a victory point, a critical success gives you two, a failure means you don't gain anything, a critical failure means you lose one victory point. And they talk about how the victory points can be anything. So a victory point could be renamed um, a style point if you're doing mm. a gladiatorial game where the party has to, you know, do some prep like thing beforehand or if you're doing, you know, um, like luchador wrestling or something like that, (laughs) where it's you play to the crowd beforehand. So you're accumulating victory points that are added to a later total. But they could be used for. Yeah, but they could be used for anything. You could do, you know, great British Bake Off, um, yeah. <laughs> and then your victory points for cooking your stuff, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so using rare the, ingredients and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, and so it's the it's the simple mechanic of it. I I just really appreciate it as a way to allow players to track their progress. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could definitely I could see using it in pretty much anything. And again, it reminds me of uh they introduced a similar system a couple of times in Adventure pass previously, where it's something like you know the city is being attacked and is being destroyed around you. And you need to earn victory points and compare those to the end total to see how well you've done and mm-hmm. how much of the city you managed to keep from being actively on fire. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Victory points.
1: Woo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I all mean, right. I'd like to see all oh, the sorry. systems flushed out. Oh, I know that's like a kind of complete non-answer, but, um, I am very interested <laughs> in, I think research makes one of those things where there's so many interesting ways because like Rick kind of pointed out, there's a different kind of definition of what a library is for the sake of research check. I think it'd be really interesting to see mm-hmm. how you can tie doing the equivalent of a research check with just a gather information kind of um, of a role play. So like, you know, going down to the, to the tavern and seeing how you get information from the tavern goers versus going down and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Mingling with a crowd at a sporting event or something like that. I feel like there's some interesting like social constructs that weren't really talked about in this that would be kind of interesting to see fleshed out. I like
0: that Jordan cheats and gets two. He didn't think we'd notice that he went back and chose a different one after infiltration, but we noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I thought
1: infiltration was good. Like, I didn't really need to find out. I thought infiltration was good too,
0: good. but then Jordan's like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Rachel and get two. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, well that uh i think brings us to our fifth question though um which is which subsystems right. would you like to see fleshed out more um are there any that you felt were missing and this question comes from caps in our discord
0: so, missing not immediately um i can't remember i don't think that the duels cover psychic duels also do they no, um, it's casting no but I, I mean that might yeah I mean, that might be partially because I
2: don't think psychic per se is yeah, necessarily out. Yeah, the occult out. stuff isn't it's out. So cult, psychic yeah. duels.
0: I would like to see psychic yeah. duels come back because I thought that was an interesting concept. Um, as far warmth? as flesh. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. Go for it. I was going to say, as far as fleshed out more, uh, I would just love to see a lot more attention given to the chase mechanics because uh, I've always mm. felt the chase mechanics are something that is really interesting, but also it puts a lot of onus on the game master to come up with like obstacles and all the rest of that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, I think they put out a couple of card decks that were things full of obstacles. I think Mm -hmm. having a a larger section dedicated to a giant list of obstacles based on maybe terrain, kind of like they did for Mm -hmm. the, the senses thing way earlier where they're talking about, here's the various types of senses. It could just be like, here's an athletics acrobatics thing, so on and so forth. And then it's like, yeah, Jumping over a log versus balancing on a log versus shoving a log out of your way.
2: So (laughs) away, log. Yep.
0: Yep. Rolls downstairs. You know.
2: My cabbages. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. As far as um, fleshed out more, I would like to see more research examples. I think that'd be really neat. Like I think Jordan was saying just a little bit ago. Um, Another thing, uh, system. I don't know if this would be a system that they will implement it might not be but I think it would be really cool if they did Um, would be uh, you know I'd I'd really like to see potions of actual spells returning Um, that was one Mm -hmm. thing that I mean I know that they they changed around how a lot of it works like potions Mm -hmm. just have specific effects now which I think does make them more versatile Um, but I just liked having being able to like go, Oh, okay, here I've got a potion of heroism, you know, and yeah. just chug that down. Um, so I, I hope something like that comes back at least as an optional rule system at some point.
1: Yeah. Um, one that could be fleshed out more. I, I did kind of, re- uh, steal a little bit of this on the, on the research thing I was talking about. Um, I can't really think of a lot for infiltration necessarily other than I didn't see anything about camouflage. So maybe an interesting like addition on mm. that of like, you know, what kind of camouflage you can do and like what's the, you know, process I guess for doing that cuz they have a section on like what it, what happens if you get disguises. So it might be kind of interesting to see yeah. what else you could do with that or um additional yeah. planning things that you can do like ahead of your, you know, infiltration uh, might be interesting. Things that I felt were missing um It's a hard pick. Um, I like Cinematic Combat. I know it's not really a popular system that was used a lot, but um, Mm. I always find that the big thing that I feel is missing from Pathfinder is those epic battles where it's like helm's deep and like the two armies are crashing into each other. And, you know, Cinematic Combat does a really good job at at portraying that without it being too much of a mess. (laughs) So Mm. I I would like to see Cinematic Combat again.
0: Yeah. Okay. So kind of the mass combat sort of stuff. Yeah. Mass combat. Mm. Yeah. Is
1: that what it's called? Mass combat? I totally just said that wrong.
2: There are are two different systems. Mass combat was like you each have an army and you fight. The cinematic combat was, again, more like what you were talking about. Like it's Helm's Deep and you're fighting a lot of really, really weak enemies. But, you know, usually you're at a higher level and it's just like, look at how awesome I am, basically. So, Yeah. yeah, which is fun.
1: Yeah, I just I just like to get those moments where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm casting fireballs and I'm actually hitting every single square has a person in it. You know, like that's just fun. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all for death and destruction, man. All
0: right. Well, we're running a little bit over right now. So, uh, yes, do we want to rapid fire our way through uh, our questions here in chat? Because I would like like to give an answer to all of these.
1: Yes. Let me do some couple ones here. Uh, So uh, we'll
0: have to contain ourselves because we all go a little long.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Krakagar uh, says, speaking of Tyrant's Grasp, which part of the guide talks about making your players cry?
0: <laughs> oh, it's really just them. kind of an underlying implication through the entirety of the guide. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Every part it's, made me cry. It's the little it's the little side blurb that says uh, this is survival horror. Don't expect a happy ending. <laughs> mm. Oh,
1: yeah. Um, let's see. English Bob can asks. Hope. Uh, what's oh. the best way to handle PC loot when they die and create a new character? Do you give them the new limit and deal with the party gaining wealth? I assume that means they stripped all the items off of them.
0: So I've got two ways that I deal with this. Um, mm. You guys can let me know if, if you have a different way. Uh, the first off is I have a lot of times that my players will do basically Viking burials
1: mm-hmm. where it's
0: you died and you get to take your stuff into the next life. Uh, mm. It works well when you're you're dealing with players that are willing to do that and it's just kind of sometimes everyone will take like an item but it's Mm. not like okay we're going to strip his body of everything that he owns Uh, Mm -hmm. i also have always liked it when uh i think i've only ever had this happen in one game before that a player a character died and uh that players um or that character had a child Mm-hmm. And so they did like the classic, you know, we've taken all of your father's gear and we put it in this chest and we've returned it back to you. And it's like, you know, look after this and know that your father died a hero. And I always like to think it's like, you know, 10 years down the line, the town gets attacked and he opens up the chest and dons his father's armor. Time to suit um, up. Yep. Time to suit up. And uh, he's suddenly a first level character with like a 10th level character's gear. But sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's like, whoa. He was close. the greatest hero
0: of all. Yeah. Uh, a plus two striking, <laughs> flaming, you know, great sword. Whoa. Anyway, uh- yes. Everyone remembers Todd, the non-level compliant gold per character level <laughs> character. <laughs> he had a very long title. It's true. Uh, the second one that um, I've never really had to do, but mm. can, is if you have access to what all was on that character, and this requires a bit more of bookworking is figure out exactly what the treasure value for everything that was on that character was. uh, Figure out what the value of that would have been if they'd sold it, and then Mm. reduce that amount for the treasure that they'll receive moving forward. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: It is
0: the best way to keep it balanced. A lot of times you can kind of hand wave it if it's, you know, a third or fourth level character dies and they're taking their, you know, their bow and their sword and yeah, all the rest of Yeah, in the long run, it's not going to be a huge difference. Yeah, but But if it's the death of like a 12th level character, and then they're suddenly dividing his gear amongst themselves, and then a new character showing up fully decked out, Mm -hmm. um, that can be an issue.
3: Yeah,
0: A third one actually just occurred to me while I was speaking, so I'll point this one out also. Uh, A great thing to do, especially if they're, say, I don't know, they're fighting their way through a serpent folk lair or something like that is go, Oh God, you know, our wizard died and this is horrible and tragic. And then they, you know, travel down the hallway after, you know, taking all the stuff off of them, open up a door. And then it's like, chained to the wall is a elven wizard. Instead. He's like, thank you. I've been trapped here this entire time. You don't happen to have gear appropriate for a character (laughs) of my level. (laughs) And then they just hand it over to the new character.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Those are my suggestions.
1: Mm. I think they're good ones yeah Um, (laughs) Yeah. All right. so moving on Graf asks have you ever had to tell a player you weren't allowing them to play anymore basically kicking them out
0: yes yes I have Mm -hmm. Um, In I've had to do this a couple of times actually unfortunately and usually it's when a friend of mine brings in a friend that's interested in starting to play Mm. and uh, the couple of times I've had to do this have been for various difficult reasons sometimes it's you know, the one player that doesn't understand that his comments are offensive or upsetting other players. Uh, and other times it was just occasions where it was someone who just could not Mesh adhere with. to a schedule oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah,
3: <laughs> that, too. Uh,
0: that would let him play with everyone else. And so, you know, he would only be in one out of every three sessions. It's difficult to do. Um, you know, the, Only advice I can really give about it. Uh, There's advice in this book also, Mm -hmm. but is uh, explain why you're doing it. Um, Make sure that they know that it's nothing personal, and just let them understand that be be kind but firm. Mm -hmm. Because a lot Mm -hmm. of times there'll be a oh well you know I'll try to I'll I'll get better about getting here on time or I'll try to change what's the problem. And uh, if you've given them fair warning. Mm-hmm. Then, I think that you should hold your ground. Yeah, and especially if it's something like this person is making comments. Um, you know, unfortunately, in, in the case of the player that I had to ask to leave, it was made some rather insensitive sexist comments, and mm-hmm. it's that is not acceptable. Especially that's not acceptable even if you're at an all um you know cis male table or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's definitely mm-hmm. not acceptable if you have anyone there that those comments felt like they were being directed towards Mm -hmm. and so in that case i'd suggest just being firm and saying the fact of the matter is this isn't working uh hopefully you can find your own group and you know this is where the problem is maybe reconsider how your words are affecting others yeah it's never easy no
1: yeah and i i've actually been blessed in not having to have those conversations with any of my players i'll chalk that up to having, uh, a awesome friend group of people who aren't like that, yeah. but I do remember we have had, we have had a time in our, in our history together where we had players come in that were just utterly disruptive. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was a table decision less so than, you know, just the GM being like, I don't want to deal with you anymore, you know? So, um, I, the only advice that I can really give you is, to make sure you check in with your players, especially if you're aware that something is, but also if you're not aware that something's going on, because just because it doesn't bother you doesn't mean it doesn't bother somebody else at the table. And a lot of times they may not feel comfortable uh, actually going out and, and calling somebody out on the floor. So yeah, catch them after the game and say, Hey, you know, is everything okay? I saw you got really quiet there during that, you know, just try to keep an open mind and, and try to, to handle the situation with as much empathy as you can. Because yeah. it is dealing with people's feelings and, you know, as, as kind as you can try to be, we all have our own blind spots and biases. And so, you know, just be yeah. aware of the fact that, you know, everybody has different experiences and has a different um, kind of mindset, um, especially when it comes to, you know, sensitive topics like, um, you know, we the things that they discuss in this book, like alcoholism and things like that. So um, just all in all, mm. try to be a human being. Um, check in with your players because the, the the thing about Pathfinder is you can go really deep into it and it can be nigh real in some cases. And, you know, you don't want to, you know, re-traumatize anybody or, or offend anybody or anything like that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, one last thing I maybe offer is a suggestion for this, even before you reach that point. This is why a lot of times it's a good idea to uh, have a trial run with a player before you bring them mm-hmm. fully on into what's going to be a long-term game. So if, you, if you've if met a group and you're starting to put something together, maybe try a couple society games beforehand to make sure yeah. that everyone's personality is going to mesh. And sometimes there'll be problems that don't become apparent, uh, sadly, until the person becomes more comfortable. And then once they become more comfortable, yeah. they're willing to show a side of them that they usually don't to people that they don't necessarily know. And mm. oftentimes that can be unfortunately where the, the issue stems from.
1: True. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I'll second that of doing the trial run, especially before like an adventure path or anything. That's a long-term commitment Absolutely. Um, for they, these reasons, as well as like, you'll find out if they, do, if they're always difficult to schedule and you know, if you're trying to do a weekly game and they'll never show up for a weekly game, yeah. Um, you know, it just it solves a lot of problems that you're gonna have down the line because the last thing you wanna do is be a book in and find out that this person can't commit and things like that.
0: Yeah. So I guess the the takeaway there is be firm but fair. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh all right. Question from RevCon in the chat. Uh considering how important AP teams are saving the world, will you ever use the reputation rules? Hmm. I would never say never. I mean, yeah, you know, that's that's kind of the thing is like, I can't, I can't think of us necessarily needing it for like Tyrant's. Well, I guess we're not doing Tyrant's Grasp in second edition, but um, like I would never say never to anything because mm-hmm. you never know where things are going to go.
0: I think a lot of that depends on. Um, I won't delve into spoilers or anything here, but mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of that depends on the individual adventure path. Yeah. Because in some adventure paths, your character's word of your character's actions becomes widely known. And oftentimes, you know, the towns that you save celebrate you and, you know, the people that you save. And, you know, maybe you saved a local lord, you know, or a local nobleman or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh sometimes you're saving the world in the background and yeah. no one really knows who you are. And it's just like by show up we show up to a town and you know, we're we're really famed in this town of 800 people that we save from utter destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, once we reach the big city, yeah, no one really knows us. And they're just like, oh, yeah, that you, you saved that town? Oh, I cool. thought they died a long time ago.
2: Yeah, there was a town out there since <laughs> yeah, when? <laughs> wow, <okay.
0: laughs> I thought okay. they dried. There are, people, there are people still living out there? Are, wow. So, yeah, I think, I think a lot of that kind of depends on, you know, if you're playing something like, you know, and again, I'm avoiding any, you know, spoilers here. Mm. But if you're playing something like Skull and Shackle, where the whole mm-hmm. idea is to be these pirates and become these pirates of legend, then yeah. yeah, I could definitely see using that mechanic in there where it's you're building up your your character's reputation and renown amongst other pirates. But at the same time, if you're doing something along the lines of um, let's like just say dark, Council of Thieves. Dark, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, or, Council or of thieves. yeah, but or, you know, Council of Thieves, where it's you know, you're kind of you're doing a city. lot of this on the low key, uh, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, we're we're opposing you know the government of Throne or we're trying to help the town and do these things, but we're also kind of doing it on the down low. Yeah, so.
2: Uh, Like we don't want people to know who we are everywhere we go.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And contrast that with, uh, with like curse the crimson throne where it's very obvious that you are saving the town and, you know, people know what you are and the, you have special monitor, you know, cloaks and all this other stuff.
0: I could also see see doing it by region as well. So it's something like, you know, if you're looking at mummy's mask, you know, the, the doorkeepers again, no spoilers here, but the, the doorkeepers, start doing some grand things um, that would be rather well known in the three cities and on Wati and Tefu. Uh, But at the same time in Sothis more likely not, no one would recognize their names, even if they're household names in the South. Yeah. So yeah, I could, I could see using the mechanic though. I think it would be kind of a fun thing to do.
1: Yeah. Okay. Next uh, question from kick the table in the chat is there any tool rule subsystem, et cetera, that you thought was cool but would probably never use in one of your games?
2: Hmm. Hmm. Well again, never say never, but Yeah, I was, I was yeah. gonna say I
1: I I can't say that I wouldn't experiment to try it if somebody was keen,
2: you know? hmm Yeah. I mean, that being said, um, I most of the games I end up running tend to be localized enough that I don't think I'm going to use vehicles all that often. But you know, they're pro- if they come up though, then yeah, it's handy to have them. I you just say that, and necessarily- then there's a
1: chariot race through the town. Yeah, I mean, you know, you never know. <laughs> you never but, know uh, right?
2: <laughs> but like, as far as I can tell, I probably won't use those much, if at all.
0: Yeah. Um, honestly, I think the, the only one that really jumps out to me that I've, that's come up in a game that I'm doing that I didn't, um, uh, end up using was exploration. Mm. uh, mm. in large part because not necessarily because I don't like it from a gameplay standpoint, uh, it's that sometimes subsystems are really good if you're looking at it as a game. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to mm-hmm. be able to look at it from that, you know, that high view and stare down and look into the minutia of the the mechanics. But if you're doing something like we usually do where we're doing a podcast, then, you know, I Saying think I, I had I to go, use it. For, I go
1: Northwest on the, on the board.
0: Like, yeah, I go Northwest yeah. one hex and then, you know, search this 12 mile hex thing. And, and I've used it a little bit in the background sometimes in, um, you know, in, in mummy's mask, even, and, uh, but at the same time, even while using it, I tend to narrate everything as opposed to using the exact mechanics of it because mm-hmm. it just doesn't work as well for audio. So uh, I think I'd avoid using something like exploration for, um, for a podcast. However, I've used the chase mechanics. I've used uh, vehicle mechanics. I've used uh the research check stuff and all the rest of that. So I think most of them work really well, but the the mm-hmm. exploration gets a little bit into the minutia. It's kind of like they didn't include the kingdom building mechanics in here, but the kingdom building mm-hmm. mechanics get very. Here's a board game that we're playing while playing this table. I was going to say that's like yeah. a whole
1: separate game. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So anyway,
0: just my uh, two cents. Let's see.
1: Um, and that's it. We're out of questions. All righty. So huzzah. Thank you so much for everybody. who asked question, by the way. Um, yeah. we always appreciate and thank you for, feedback.
2: and thank you for attending and watching. Even if you didn't ask any questions, we hope that you had a fun time. Absolutely. And if you're
1: we listening to it I... after the fact, thank you too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just thank you everybody.
0: <laughs> we appreciate you, uh, you coming here. I hope this provides all of you a, uh, a little bit of escape, escapism where you can kind of come here and just enjoy. Uh, listening and talking uh, game stuff and everything else with us, And I Mm -hmm. hope you've learned something. And if you have not picked up the game master guide, I would recommend it actually, Mm -hmm. even from a game master with a great deal of experience. I found that I learned a lot from it and it sounds like my, uh, my stalwart co-hosts feel the same. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right then uh, I guess if there's nothing else, thank you all for coming here listening. Thank you to everyone on the Discord who provided us with some questions, and we hope that we answered those well enough for you. And until next time, good luck, Pathfinders.
2: Bye, Pathfinder. Until next time. Bye. Bye.